Hey, hey, folks, Zade here with another episode of Drama Quest. I think this is going to be episode 19, and I'm excited to be back in the saddle doing kind of like history style Drama Quest podcast episodes again, instead of the new stuff we've done for the last few. Uh, first and foremost, though, I need to give a big shout out to our new patrons. We just started a Patreon uh, for Drama Quest and, and the YouTube and Twitch and everything that I've been doing uh, creatively here. Um, and my first three patrons came in, Big TBK, Params, and AOR69. Thank you so much for uh, supporting the podcast and, and becoming patrons. If anyone else is interested, of course, you, you get a bunch of cool things, um, exclusive uh, Discord access, you get the shout out here, you get early access to all the podcasts, a bunch of behind the scenes uh, content and bonus episodes as well. And then you can have input on upcoming episodes. So if you're interested, check out a link that'll be in the description here. But a uh, big shout out to those three for showing the support and supporting the podcast. Today's episode is going to be on Project Quorum. We are joined by none other than Secrets, my dear friend, and the creator of Project Quorum, Secrets, throwing it to you. Hey, Zaid. It's good to be on one of these for a change. I am Secrets of Project Quorum. I am the lead administrator. I do most of the design work, the development, the management, uh, the basically the founder of Project Quorum. How's it going, everyone? Awesome, Secrets. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and carving out the time. I know you're super busy, especially now that you've got this massive behemoth 2,000 person concurrent user server under your belt as well. It's been nuts. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit, before we get into Project Quorum too much, can you tell us about your background within the MMO sphere? Yeah, sure. Um, I first started playing MMOs in 2001 with uh, Velius right before Luckland era EverQuest. So I have the fondest memories of, you know, the, the Spires opening and uh, the Karanas going up to Luckland for the first time. And one of the most jarring uh, transferences from the old UI to the Luckland UI when it first launched. I actually started playing the game a week before they started cutting off to the new UI. Oh, wow. So I started playing this game. I was pretty accustomed to the old UI, and then suddenly this just gets dropped on me. So I, I have nostalgia the most uh, for that era. I In 2005, I started poking around at EverQuest Emulator. I met Alia, our CSR lead, and we've kind of been friends off and on. There's been times when we've just, you know... There is a group of friends that I started playing the game with. They've been my friends since, you know, elementary school. Uh, I found out through a friend that their cousin was playing a game called EverQuest. So I, I, I begged my mom, and I'm 32 now. you got to remember, I was like 9 or 11 or something like that, uh, years old, asking to play EverQuest for the first time. Uh, I had my mother actually help set up my account and everything. It was quite wild. Uh, so... I'm an old-school EverQuest player in the sense that I've never actually truly played through Classic, except as a new player. Um, okay. I played EverQuest 2, raided in there for a bit. That's when I first, you know, when you start to get about 13, 14 years old, you're going to start playing EverQuest seriously. Like, your brain's finally at that capacity to start understanding what raiding is and right. uh, trying to participate in stuff. Sure, you might be the, the youngest runt in the group, but people probably won't want to listen to you, but you can still at least, you know, kind of participate as a member. So I did that for a bit till about 2009. Once the Scott's Hearts era of EverQuest 2 ended, kind of stopped playing. Played a couple different games in between, uh, mainly uh, Warhammer Online and a couple other different MMOs. So I've got a pretty diverse background of that. I'm also um, a current member of the games industry. 
I have been since 2015 working on various games such as APB Reloaded, Hawken, and Fallen Earth. Uh, that has been a fantastic experience that has complemented my hobbyist experience working on the emulator. So just wanted to mention that too. That's awesome. And did you say, did I hear this right? 2005 is when you got involved in the emulator scene for EQ? Correct. The EverQuest emulator actually started in 2003. And because it started in 2003, uh, th there was so much early stuff that happened that led up to, you know, EverQuest emulator happening. There was, you know, famously, Sony Online Entertainment actually had gone after the emulator folks early because they leaked the Planes of Power content early, like the zone geometry, the, the character model, so on and so forth. They were all leaked to the community. So um, they cease and desisted them. That, and that was the first, you know, that was the start of emulators being, you know, sort of like a nuisance to Sony Online Entertainment at the time. Uh, so we've always maintained a neutral um, you know, standpoint towards them. We've just, we've, we haven't wanted to cause trouble. A lot of the early people were also, uh, cheat developers, which, uh, cheat developers just quite didn't seem to always align with the emulator folks because the emulator folks wanted to preserve the game or they wanted to, you know, make their own version of the game. And some of them just wanted to, th thought it was cool and decided to do it. So yeah, early 2003 is when EverQuest Emulator, two years later, I started poking around. I was like 12 or 13 at the time. Right. I think a lot of the folks that actually started the emulator were, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I know Rogan's only a few years older than me, for example, over at Project 1999. Right. I, I remember near the tail end of my first leg of playing EQ, like I was getting ready to quit, one of my friends mentioned that there was this other kind of eq you could play where you could walk around into any zone and see what all the other stuff was it was like a server that some guy owned or whatever and you know this was like the kind of rumor mill stuff and he's like yeah you could go play there and you could like see all these high-end zones that you can't get to on your real characters um but it's bannable if they find out you do it you'll get banned and i was like oh that's crazy and um you know like it's funny in the beginning stages these things are kind of like mythical uh, with the players who don't even understand like you know what emulating is back then and it wasn't it was such a underground piece of of the community uh, but that is awesome that you were involved in that from such an early time and you were briefly part of the staff on p99 right i was yeah that was more of a a nuanced issue um well not issue really i would say uh i initially was looking i like the idea of classic preservation from the time I started playing EverQuest, I knew that the game that I was playing was slowly being eroded. Lucklin changed a lot of the early zones. Planes of Power added some content that a lot of casual players just simply did not resonate with. And because they simply did not resonate with all that, they just quite literally had, you know, they fall off. And by Gates of Discord, all the content in Gates of Discord was definitely not aimed at casual players. You had to originally play the video game that that you were playing for a long time to even get into the Gates of Discord. You had to have all the AAs, you had to have the Eldons done. There was a bunch of prerequisites that, especially with the character progression rates back then, were inaccessible for you know people like me who were casual players. Back right, then. yeah. And World of Warcraft offered a great alternative for them. Yes. So EverQuest saw a huge fall off on there. So when someone said, you can go back and take your time 
and you can relive the time that you never got to experience or it, the era that you actually wanted to experience. That appealed to me. So EverQuest Classic was one of the first projects I can remember. There was a bunch of developers. A lot of us were amateurs at the time, honestly. That was, is that with Yalite and Harakiri? Yes, that was actually with them. They are super yeah. talented people. And I was basically in the you know the footsteps of giants. You'll hear more about that soon because I, I have, and I think I speak for every engineer when I say this, massive imposter syndrome, just due to being behind everyone. You know, I'm I'm 13, 14, 15, looking at the EverQuest emulator for the fir first time. I'm with a bunch of 20 somethings that are you know kind of the same age that you know Brad McQuaid and Bill Trost were when building the game for the first time. Right. And then they're trying to recreate the game or preserve it in some way. So I felt not only behind, but I just felt like out of my league. And that was that was a wild time for me. So um, I, did, I volunteered to get on the database staff at that point, which was I was supposed to, you know, look at inaccuracies in the game and try and get them to be accurate. I'm going to be honest, I did not know most of the game back then. There were so many nuances that players expected that simply I was out of my league for. So when I'm here playing, you know, EverQuest, I only got to see a small portion of the game world. Back in, especially back in like 2001, 2003, you still didn't have broadband internet readily accessible, especially to a child who didn't have the ability to pick. A lot of us were still on dial-up or DSL or something that otherwise made looking up a wiki or an Alkazam page relatively inaccessible. I had a 150-page binder back then. So I didn't know much of EverQuest. And in fact, as time went on, I started to realize something a little bit more problematic was starting to happen. A lot of the old data that used to exist didn't exist anymore. If I went right. to go look for it, if I went to look for classic Kazakhthul in 2007, 2008, that information didn't exist. There was packet collects that might have shown the locations of creatures, but a lot of the drop rates did not have proper sampling. Magello didn't even exist to about 2003, I believe. I'm probably going to get that date wrong, but there were a lot of drop chances for creatures that just simply weren't parsed. And in fact, due to Torvin of the Alcabra project, a lot of that was preserved for all time. And Torvin... Um, has made a reputation of, for himself of getting everything accurate over the years. Uh, back then, we didn't have a Torvin. We had maybe a handful of packet collects from the era, limited reverse engineering talent, and a client that barely functioned unless you did things a very specific way. So right. that was a challenging time for everyone involved. So EverQuest Classic was my first adventure. I, then, mean, I feel like I still there's still mountains of of little details that I don't know about EverQu EverQuest Classic, and I've been trying to play EQ Classic. You know what I mean for like the better part yeah. of the last twenty years. It just it's it's crazy how much detail and granularity there is there. I didn't know for the longest time that resists of creatures had so much variance in the monster type and the zone type. Hell, on Project 1999, there used to be something called Charduck AoEing. Mechanically, this shouldn't have happened if they were actually emulating the era properly. The creatures actually have resisting creatures sprinkled in from place to place at higher resist rates for magic, meaning that actually pulling these creatures 
and then actually trying to AoE the zone was not feasible. On top of that, Emulator for the longest time didn't have a leash distance for any creature. You might be thinking on live, oh yeah, if I go far enough away from a creature, that's the new type of leash that they added. But in EverQuest, there's actually a leash that made the mob stop chasing you, but also made it not go back to its spawn. It's as if you had feigned death past a certain point. So right. if you had... So if you had gotten back in its, I think it was a default thousand point range, and you're a bard going halfway across the zone trying to pull to the zone into Charduk, those shouldn't actually pull to the zone and they should stop at about the thousand unit point and go back as if you had feigned death. Now so, that's when they get a thousand points, a thousand units from the target or a thousand units from their spawn point? A thousand units from their target. Which right. meant that if you were pulling to the zone in or got Call of the Hero, which wipes aggro, did it for the longest time as well on various emulators. Uh, if you were at the zone in, you shouldn't have kept aggro on any of those creatures. Once they got past a certain point, you shouldn't have actually you know, done anything like that. Also, your pet shouldn't be able to just go past creatures in Classic. Which right. meant that this tactic of pet pulling shouldn't have worked because it would aggro anything next to your pet. Now, there were certain nuances on the EverQuest for Macintosh server that the Alcabra project has decided to keep, such as making your pet pulling possible by making sure creatures that are, you know, too far away can't be pet pulled because by the time your pet gets there, it's dead anyway, and you've only got four or five creatures. Or the pet will keep, you know, trying to attack. You'd have to keep backing off, you'd have to keep attacking. Right. A lot of that stuff just wasn't accurate for the era, and to be honest, without the work of the Alkyber project team and project 1999 has also contributed to the public repository. They're not very public about having done that. Nilbog, Telen, uh, Torvin, Elraz and such all talk together rather infrequently, but to the point where we kind of have this preservation community that didn't exist. Going back to EQ classic, we decided to, you know, make a, a server with limited information with a lot of people that haven't done enough research and with you know, honestly i was lacking talent back then harakiri and yellite were some of the only people that could have pulled that off and are still uh admittedly some of the few people that are willing to pull, pull, pull that off i mean yeah so, like kind of went off the the deep end at the end right without going into, I, I guess, into too many i wouldn't say i wouldn't say he went off the deep end but he was frustrated with the lack of support he was surrounded with people that weren't at his caliber at the time and to be honest, Yellite was attempting to be a mentor for a lot of people. Every time he tried to do this, he would get uh, effectively crapped on. I remember um, his post saying that he was going to do, you know, uh, uh, for the longest time, they were going to do like the real classic server. And they even got to the beta point where people were in there and it just looked so clean and perfect. And then he was like, yeah, I asked, uh, I think it was SOE at the time, maybe it was Daybreak for permission and predictably like everyone in the world could have predicted this they said no so i'm not going to do it and we're like what the fuck dude like obviously they're gonna of course they would say no they can't say yes what are you doing it was like, a little yes, bit more nuanced than that actually they that received like, a cease and desist post. order i know okay. that was his post but there was also a cease and desist order that i still have a copy of it actually that was sent to eqclassic.org and yellite said the only way i'm going to continue to do this after i got the cease and desist is I'm going to have to get permission from them to do this. If I don't get this, I'm going to make my own version of EverQuest without the intellectual property of the creatures in game. At that point, people got frustrated, understandably, and then they the whole project kind of fell off. He transferred the project to Harakiri, who was more than capable, and 
they kept going in secret for about five or six years. And uh, over time, they just kind of fell off. Interest fell off. Project 1999 obviously uh, took off right after they had, you know, slowed their progress or went private. And because of that, they lost motivation big time. There's also problems with the Trilogy client beyond that. There was stability issues. The client was not working in a window well, even with the tweaks that Harakiri did, which were honestly some of the most incredible tweaks that I've ever seen. The game actually had 16.9 resolution support, widescreen support, even with the old classic UI, which I thought was fantastic. I have never been able to see that replicated to this day. And it just goes to show you the brilliance of someone like that who puts their heart into it. And I believe that any developer can replicate that with enough time. Yeah. But now is is EQ Classic pretty much 100% dead now? I see like the last post was December of 2020, so 3 3 full years ago. Is is that pretty much done? Is Harakiri still working or what's the deal? Do you know? I actually don't know. I because of uh what went down where I went off to Project 1999 instead of hanging around EQ Classics Discord, they kind of disowned me and admittedly they were well justified in doing that. Hmm. So I don't know what they're doing. I kind of don't really uh, mind if they do or not. I've always tried to keep my contributions rather open, whereas they felt the need to keep everything privatized. And um, their last update, of course, was, as you know, three years ago. My opinion and what I would do if I was them is free themselves of the game client, let people get their assets. There's been you know, success with other emulation efforts of other games where if someone gets all the client assets themselves and then you were to provide a standalone way to interpret those that is 100% clean room emulation, you might be able to, say, emulate it on your own using your own protocol and not the protocol of whatever game you're trying to use. You might be might have heard of Lantern Project, which yep. is... Yep, Lantern EQ. Uh, yeah, Lantern EQ is a continuation, I'd say, of EQ Classic. Harakiri had lent them their database. At this point, I think they're using TAC Project as the base. Harakiri mm-hmm. actually contributed a lot of the fixes early on to TAC Project uh, because we use something so similar. There is a, a big benefit from using the Lua interpreter for from TACP and keeping it binary compatible. So as TAC Project release changes, Harakiri and EQ Classic could just adapt them to their uh, project. Eventually, though, they went to Lantern Lantern's kind of an interesting project in the sense that it's not constrained by copyright. If you own the original copy of EverQuest, you are effectively licensed that by Sony. If what you do with that once it's licensed on your local computer is up to the end user, meaning that there is already settled law with this. Now, does that mean that this is the best way to go? Probably not. But it's the only way that I would see something like a standalone client or even really emulating trilogy uh kick and leg a whistle and a couple other people from eq classic or around eq classic have also participated in in discussion in project quorum and honestly it's kind of interesting to see 
everything shift from closed doors to open contribution and you know sharing and giving community which yeah. just, just simply didn't exist a decade ago. Yeah, it just seems like there's no reason to keep it closed anymore. You see the open source projects that grow so much faster. Everyone's trying to do the same thing. And like like Project Quorum wouldn't have been possible without without open source TACP, right? That's correct. I helped get TACP off the ground by repurposing and using the old EQ emulator netcode from, I'd say, about 2003. Um, I made that compatible. It, it's kind of weird. So as a software engineer, you can make something work if you kind of containerize it. And that's kind of what I did with the early netcode for the Alcaver project. I took something that would work for the client, and then I kind of encapsulated it with a modern um, network layer interface, and which which got us most of the way there, actually. And then with the power of open source, anyone could have contributed to it. So this is going to be a little bit of a history lesson, but the Alcaver project was actually open source to start. The reason why the Alcaver project actually went closed source at all... 2002, baby, right? Uh, project 2002, yeah. Yep. And they were upset with how the rotations ended up. They wanted Project 1999-style dragon pulling. So the, these guys were butthurt about the server rule about sharing content, right? Correct. And okay. this is going to get important later because... So they said, screw you, I'm going to make my own server. And it's I don't open have source, to share. so they were within their right, yeah. Yeah. And personally, I think that would have worked if it wasn't for the fact that people that had already contributed to the server felt like they were being ripped off or gypped in some way. I personally had no such feelings. I thought it was unfortunate that someone would be that upset, but I wasn't ready to, you know, quit over this. However, a lot of our developers, such as Torvin such as Haynar and yeah, Haynar is actually a project 1999 dev that came over to help and did a fantastic job with the netcode fixes early on. And so everyone wanted to quit at that point. There was another server that had a th the same rule set. The only difference is they had contested uh, creature fights yeah. and their guild was one of the biggest guilds on the servers, which none of the, their guild actually interacted or meshed well with the EQ Mac players. I wasn't accepting that for an answer, but we'll get to that later with Project What Quorum. guild was it? Uh, it was called Arm and Hammered, led by Iance, I think they are. I mean, their, their, their whole guild was led by brand names. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I could see, you know, it's open source, but then it sucks when someone takes it and they, they're weaponizing it. Like, Project 2002 felt antagonistic towards the Alcabor project. Like they, the, the two servers, the, it was not amicable. You know what I mean? P2, yeah. P, P02 wanted to like destroy TACP for lack of a better term. So I could see why they, they hit pause on the open source. And I remember they said like, hey, when we're done with POP, when the server is complete, we'll go back to open source. And then suddenly Project 2002 is like, actually, we can't do shit now because we don't have the talent, right? Is that kind of how it went? Uh, sort of. I mean, eventually they got bored of what they were doing and moved on. I think it's actually kind of interesting that um, a server like that w was built on spite and malice. And I've talked about this actually in my stream a couple times. Anything that you put spite, malice, and power your entire life behind it is destined for failure. If you make a project just because you are upset at another project, you're going to effectively run out of steam once your 
anger or spite at the thing you're directed either dries up or succeeds in its goal. And then you're just left with something that, well, I don't want to run this now because, well, my goal of destroying something is over, so I don't need to care about these, you know, 300-something players that are boxing on my server. Well, right. it's more like 100 when you divide by three boxes, but, you know. And then they did, and then Project 2002 actually dropped it on a person called Trust, and um, I participated in a little bit of ME drama. You might know that. I'm notorious yes. for having a little bit of a temper. Uh, I don't think anyone in their right mind that had to deal with a lot of what I have to deal with would be in their right mind. <laughs> but uh, I will say that the entire thing with Project 2002 was that they dumped it on a single-year developer, and I I didn't like this developer because, you know, they're, they're trying to rebrand, and I thought this was an attempt to, you know, change their name from Project 2002 to get away from the stigma. When actually, the entire original staff of Project 2002 had actually quit this entire project. Because they were bored. They didn't have anyone. They've already had, you know, quote unquote, won the problem. They had already gotten to the client of their choice. They had actually gotten to this state where they no longer had to, you know, do anything. So they're like, I'm bored. I'm gone. Here, I'm going to give this to the player that's in one of the biggest guilds on our server. And they did. And that was Trust. So... <laughs> And Trust is doing a great job running Wayfarers Haven, which is what they renamed to, formerly Project 2002. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that Wayfarers was formerly Project 2002. That's awesome. And they have the same rules as Tacti, except they've gone beyond the uh, the the end expansion of Planes of Power. Now they're on Amens of War. They're trying to, you know, be the TACP for Amens of War EverQuest, which is actually kind of cool. I didn't play yeah, Amens. Great. I didn't. I didn't like, uh, you know. I didn't like any of those expansions. I will. I am very vocal about not liking Amens of War Plus, except for the Serpent Spine, but I'll get into that later. TSS um, is great, but yeah, I think Omens is dog shit, personally. I think it is, too. Uh, Walls of Slaughter was great, but that was about the extent of the, the greatness of that expansion. Yeah. The upgraded epics didn't resonate with anyone. There's a whole bunch. We'll get, that, that, I'll, I'll just save that for another day. It felt like after a, a certain point, though, EverQuest expansions just started to become less about the game content they were putting in and the thematic expansions they were releasing, but it felt like instead they were making features for marketing executives. If you were to look at, for Gates of Discord, for example, you would see a bunch of extra features they would add to the UI, or even Omens of War would be like, oh, we have this new file format that lets us add prettier stuff. That's cool. But then they started you know, changing the game's aesthetics and on um on some of the later zones they just feel thematically nothing like everquest right i mean you think back to like what velius is probably like a huge portion of the player base it's probably like one of the expansions they remember most fondly and you're like what is the um what is the feature of velius if you're like the exec you're like oh well remember the dragons there's like two dragons in classic there's like five dragons in kunar you're like yeah well there's like fucking 50 of them in velius you're like all right sign it up ship yeah. it <laughs> And yeah, then and Planes of Power on, you have to have a bunch of bullshit for every expansion. Planes with Power is like, so you remember how we uh, made a prismatic dragon? Well, we're gonna. Well, the prismatic dragon wasn't uh, great enough, so we're gonna go kill the gods in their plane now. Yeah, wouldn't we already do that? No, see, those were projections of the gods. These are the actual gods. Right, and Not then only right, we do like two gods per expansion. How about a hundred gods? Yeah, 
And then you start getting on to the later expansions. Eldon and LOI were feature expansions. Yeah, Admittedly, 100%. even if you look at uh, a Loving Robots interviews on YouTube, you'll also see that a lot of developers got pulled off of there to work on EverQuest 2 that yeah. were responsible for a lot of the early expansions. They heard about this new game by Blizzard Entertainment that was coming out, and they're like, oh, we got to put everyone on this new project so we match it. You heard about Ever? They weren't expecting to make three expansions at that point. You know, time- Le- Legacy of Yukesha, thematically, when you're going through... It- I I love the zones. I hate the creatures in the zones because they started doing that thing where it's just like um, you just take a pile of of NPCs and just trash trash is like appearing all through the hallways. You know what I mean? There's no like logical like it doesn't feel like things like live in the place. You know what I mean? It's just like fifty pirates in a row, fifty luggles in a row. <laughs> It, there was no reason to actually go to these zones. You didn't feel like you could ally with the pirates or the Lugolds. Right. You knew that there was a captain there and hates fury. You didn't know why you were going into Dulac. These zones just felt like they were put together right. to just give people things to kill. Right. Like I you didn't go to know Crushbone what... and there's an orc trainer. He's on a hill and there's a bunch of centurions training with him. There's a slaver in the mines with a bunch of slaves. You know what I mean? Like things are logical. It looks like a place a that's lived notable in. Ca- I can't think of a notable camp in Legacy of Akesha that I actually wanted to stay at. I felt like everything there was thematically dungeon crawls. Yeah, no, I don't... It camps almost just go away in EQ. You know what I mean? It becomes like, oh, yeah, you go to this zone and you do, like, the north half. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's two parts to that. Part of that is, like, the design got lazier and they did that, just, like, throw shit in the hallway. And all the good items became raid drops, so there was nothing to camp interesting yeah I, I i mean i remember i remember going into like guck and i can think of like a couple different item camps in guck but i can't really think of one thematic camp of maybe the logald undead tunnel but even then the logald undead tunnel just really didn't feel um you know like it was anything really right one second i need two minutes i need to actually just hydrate i'm out of breath okay. you mind yeah no problem all right, we're back. All right, so yeah, Lugold camps were, the undead camps were something of a creature type appearing in the same area, but it just didn't feel like there was, you know, any valuable items. I didn't think of any notable name that spawned there. And to be honest, I couldn't even distinguish that they were undead in that area. That they were zombies. Past that, um, the game kind of started losing its identity as, as the creature types actually got more detailed. I felt yeah. like they should have kept the, you know, style identity of the whole game. When you think of this game being, you know, graphically more intense, I guess at the time, being counters thought features, graphic fidelity, and such were going to, you know, sell the game more. And admittedly, that might have been the play based on analytics of their competitors at the time. Uh, EverQuest 2 had, you know, high stylistic, fa- real realistic fantasy, you know, character models, and that might have been the play. They might have said, oh, you like our high fantasy stuff? Wait till you see this new high fantasy stuff. Uh, because that's how games were developed back then. There were, we weren't hitting the uh, uh, Moore's Law on creativity or processing power back then. Things right. were expected to only continue to get better. You know, it's, it's weird, though, was with, like, the Serpent Spine specifically. That expansion felt so good and so refreshing. It felt just almost like Classic EQ all over again, but the graphics were better. It, it was, like, the one and only time I recall where they 
leveraged modern technology and everything and they just did everything right and it was an amazing expansion like a love letter to classic eq it was and i also think that we should do uh, a team make of the serpent spine areas probably sometime for project core and we'll get into that later yeah though. that'd be amazing I, I i really like the idea of the serpent spine it understood what classic everquest was and I was almost expecting them to revamp every single character model to the style or fidelity that Draken were. And I'm hmm. very shocked that never happened. Uh, the game could have been in a much better spot with that. It, it would have been good, but the animations for the Draken... Oh, they were have, not great. Have, yeah, they have so many frames that, like... If you, like, feign death on a Draken and then you stand up, he stands up like 10 seconds after you press stand. So in the meantime, yeah. you're running around, laying on the ground, slowly getting up, but your character still moves. Like It's just totally weird and crazy. It's bonkers, yeah. Um, I would say that if the Draken... I, I am a big critic of the Draken character models just because I didn't, I've never understood uh, what they were trying to go for aesthetically. For Ixar, you had lizard people. You had froglocks as you know an existing race that became enlightened thanks to a god. And then you had Vashir, which were the cats that were blasted to the moon by Alcabar. And then the dragon were just kind of there the whole time and being protected by the dragons and maybe descended from the dragons. I don't even want to think about how that happened. Anyway, they should have. Get... Uh, well, well, you don't you don't know the lore of how that happened. Actually, I don't. I I know something about heritage, Fishdimitar, or whatever. Uh, no, I don't. I actually didn't play like the raid content and understood. Uh oh, the, the I think it's been like years. Took the form of elves. Right, I remember something about that, and you had like a dragon visage form or something that you yeah. And that, that used to be AAs. a big fantasy trope was that dragons would be walking around, like the whole uh, Bahamut walks around with like, or or maybe it's not Bahamut, that, a human visage. Dragon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, World of Warcraft did that recently with the uh, Drakthir race. So yeah, yeah, it is a big fantasy trope of you know dragons walk among us and then show themselves. I mean, even Final Fantasy covered that with Shiva in fourteen. Yeah. So, All right, so people um, are going to get mad at us secrets if we don't start talking about Project oh, Form soon. <laughs> let's get into it, then. This, this was becoming like the EQMU uh, podcast episode. But, okay, so <laughs> to, to rein us back in, talk to me. How did Quorum get started? I remember you and I were talking. I was playing on TAC-P at the time, just happenstance. And, and you're like, yeah, they're, they're going open source now. And, like, so all of a sudden, Project Quorum was, like, full steam ahead. Oh, this is a fun one. I I got bullied into it by a friend. My friend was like, hey, did you hear TACP is releasing soon? We should create a server together. It was Maze of EverQuest Emulator. Uh, we've uh, been joking on and off. I know. I, I know. I just heard that. Uh, and I was like, right. <laughs> I, I love Maze to death. Uh, yeah. We have done a couple servers together. Uh, however, I always end up with whatever we try and create. And I either shut it down or I, and this time I, I can, I decided to continue the, the kid. Like I, I kept it going after he lost interest and I decided to, you know, this is something I've wanted to do for, since I started the Alcapper project, I knew I wasn't ever going to be able to do this alone. I needed a supporting cast of characters. And by, you know, this point in emulator history, I had that amount of people on my side. I had Torvin, I had Elraz, I had Alia, I had everyone going in my favor. So I decided, hey, if this is going to suck because I'm dropped with this again, at least let me make the best of this. So I said, let me do everything the way I want to do it. Every time I try and work on someone else's project, I lose creative vision. I have conflict with them. Not every time. Classless actually went pretty well. 
But Project Quorum felt like the right moment. There was a completed project. It was functional. And it didn't have many issues. Some people need to be the person in charge or else they create dysfunction. I think you're like that. I know a few other people like that. I am like that. Like if I'm in a guild, I have to be the guild leader or else I'm a, I'm a fucking problem. Yeah. And even if you're the guild leader, sometimes you're just like, I don't know if I can handle this. The people I've, I've put under me aren't the right people and I don't feel comfortable getting rid of them. Right. Like I've done that right. a few times on projects, but I also don't want to destroy what I've created. Right. So sometimes you'll find ways to like pass the buck on to someone else. Yeah. But that being said, that's how Project Quorum got started, and I kept going with it. It just felt right. And then I started to you know, stream the, the development on Twitch. I did the original goal with TACP of having it open source, mm -hmm. and I'm going to do this. That's what I decided, and I did. So I always thought, like, one thing that, that drives me crazy every time one of these emulating, emulated services launching, I feel like they are like, hey, we're going to come out and, like, it's somewhere between four and eight weeks later is when the launch date is. I was thinking oh. you should have been like, okay, I'm going to launch it in like January or March of next year. That's when I think you should have launched it. Obviously, I'm an idiot and you did an amazing job. Um, but I think it would have been is insane something... to, to build that word of mouth for that long. You know what I mean? And have that much more yeah. dev time. I think so. However, however, I was overconfident. I yeah. also know of this uh, this thing in industry where we have a 30 to 60 day hype cycle. I'm starting to get, you know, like 60 to 90 people watching me on Twitch just sit there and engineer stuff at a time. And they were kind of resonating and vibing with what I was doing, which was just coding on stream, really. And right. by this point, I'm like, huh, maybe I should move this up a little bit. I'm doing something that's really awesome. I'm kind of putting my heart into this. Would people actually care if I did this sooner? And actually... I'm going to just admit this on this podcast. The reason I went for the October 1st launch date is because you suggested it. There was no other reason. Did I suggest October 1st? You did. Because yeah. it would align with your schedule or something like that. I remember. Because like, Quorum launched, like, like, I was doing this big thing at work that was taking up, like, 12 to 16 hours a day every day. And Quorum launched legitimately, like, two days after it ended. So, <laughs> so it was oh, perfect. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I, also, I like, literally did that. out of town. Oh, that's the perfect time. Yeah, yeah, I know you said something about that. And I was like, I got to do this not for myself because I'm gonna, I'm going to, I'm gonna burn myself out either way. I'm gonna try and launch it early or something. I'm gonna give myself a deadline, and I started on it in August and launched October first. Yeah, that's but a you were hype you cycle. were looking at like that October month anyway. Or so you, you, I, I didn't like make you launch it. I didn't encourage you to launch it like like months early right you were already in that range i was just that final date right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i was like okay. that that's that works perfect people are going to send me death threats if i didn't put that caveat oh my in there God. no i'm going to get death threats no matter what pick, yes, whatever uh, i want to say that i don't have any beef with maze i think maze is like the chaotic evil version of you who are yourself chaotic oh. neutral <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 quite, I, I quite literally think that some people just are very passionate about the games they play, and it manifests yeah. in different ways. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say this for the record. I am a chaotic force of nature. I know that when I'm trying to do things, things get chaotic. I will make decisions on a whim. And a lot of that happened with Project Quorum, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, 
did you want to get into the a uh, little bit of that? I think you would. Oh yeah, definitely. I've seen I, I all wanna, of that. <laughs> I want to talk about all the nitty gritty details that we can fit in in the time. Um, but one of the, one of the things that I remember we were talking about before it came out was like you you started to realize it was going to be a pretty big launch and i remember being like man discord's getting pretty big a lot of people are talking about it what do you think and you're like i think we might have like 700 people on launch do you remember yeah, that i do remember that and i do remember when i had mentioned that we had about 1800 in the discord obviously right now we got a little bit more than that in there now we i have actually like 10000 or something uh, let me look cuz i actually i have not looked in a period of time that i remember um does it even, uh, 16,000 in the Discord, yeah, if you can believe insane. that. Like, uh, we started to get to like 4,000 prior to launch. I was like, oh, oh no. Do I even have the infrastructure for this? I didn't even know if this would, would hold up or anything. We're still getting new players to this day, just joining the Discord and hanging around. I mean, one of the things that I looked at, I was like, okay, P99 Discord has like 12,000 people in it, and they have like 1500 online between all their servers so i was kind of projecting off that and i was like you know we'll, we'll see how it goes i'm sure a lot of people are just checking in but then generally like, i can <laughs> i can kind of estimate concurrent user counts just based on my industry experience yeah based on how many are in there and how the buzz around the game is going uh, i was expecting 700 because i had 1800 in the discord at the time obviously yeah. that started to grow and i'm like we could have had close to 2600 on launch if the servers had stayed stable, they did not. Right, a lot of stability issues, but but I mean, everyone in the world has. I, mean, I guess not everyone. Anyone who's done a lot of launches of anything, like dark pot servers, uh, not to throw stones, but like of, official servers for any real MMO on launch day suck. So they've gotten better at that. Surprisingly, I've watched Darkfall actually iterate from TLP to TLP. They they oh. are definitely improving for sure. And it helps when they have two servers launched simultaneously, too. Absolutely. Like Thornblade and Mischief at the same time was perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I it was love smooth, that. buttery smooth. But you had you had 2,000 plus people concurrent day one. In and classic. Yeah, people have to understand, too, that concurrent users, that's like at all at the same time. But you probably have like 20,000 unique or maybe 15,000 unique people who are trying the game, logging in throughout the day, right? It's like yeah. crazy numbers. It was also complicated by even after we fixed the crash issue which as far as i remember was an issue in the net code related to thread locking um after that was resolved the supplemental fix that i had done actually didn't work and to fix the issue entirely it only delayed a crash that would get worse and worse as time went on mm. and this is how the power of open source really helps things there's a uh contributor called i i think it was blayan uh, who actually submitted a entire fix for the netcode issue they rewrote it they got it together and then they just kind it kind of worked i right after that i was just like oh that fixed it so it just goes to show you if someone's that dedicated and they're interested in doing something they will fix it. This person was really upset because they wanted to play the game. And because the game was open source, they learned the entire code base. They had a Docker instance. They were able to, you know, go in there. They knew how SDL worked. They know how um, the entire netcode fundamentally looked on a high level. They, I described the issue to this person, and then they made a patch to fix it. They made two or three of them. And I said, here's my concerns. They said, oh, I'll make sure I keep something in there. And about... 
two or three weeks later, the issue was resolved, not even by myself. Wow. I got stable, and but I had to still restart the server every three days. It was stressful for a while. That's why on launch, we were starting to see some player drop off. We kept the servers online, but we had to keep restarting. Yeah. But I mean, then it kept growing. Once once it stabilized again, it kept growing for a few weeks and got bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, it was just crazy. Camped at out one at point. 2,147 players. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was camped all the time. And I remember, um, God, I think Faceless was like the only guild that was truly preformed and like ready to go. You know what I mean? Like had a little bit of a plan. Um, yeah, I don't think Intervention or Mayhem had a plan on launch, if I remember. No, I think Intervention was a was a pretty natural formation. Like people found each other that were like Kingdom dudes, and they were like, "Oh, you know, like, a lot we should of P ninety nine players." Yeah. yeah, and Mayhem, same thing. They're just a P ninety nine guild, but they were led by kind of a dingus. So, not to be confused with the player dingus, who I think is fine. But um, <laughs> anyway, so basically, what happens is you put thousands of people in a classic EverQuest sandbox. And there's going to be problems because there's a content bottleneck, right? Like there's yeah. no way around it. Like every rat and beetle is is contested. And uh, at first, no one has a guild tag above their head. But Faceless was the only guild that formed, like actually got formed on day had one. Had all the eyeballs on you at that point because no one else had made a guild. Right. And, and as and, a guild leader, who and unfortunately our CSR team wasn't really equipped to deal with that big of a guild. Yeah. Uh, Elia and I had talked about this early. Um there was no way to effectively police a guild of that size. And Elvia was like, what? Why not? They're the guild leader. They can kick these people. And I'm like, it's not that simple. When you have 2000, sorry, 200 people, I think, what was your guild? Uh, like 500 to 600 players by it the end like, of it? Yeah, we, we, we just said anyone who wants to join can join. And in a week, we're going to kick the people who, you know what I mean, just aren't making it. Because you don't know who's going to be who in the beginning, right? You have your yeah. core people that you know are good because you play with them before. But it's like, hey, if you want to come play with us, it's kind of like a, a one-week tryout kind of system. But like day one, maybe like 28 hours into the server launch, Alia was hitting me up like Intel's like, hey, um, you guys are violating, you're, you're hitting rule 11, you're violating these rules, and you're risking your guild getting disbanded. And I'm like streaming, there's like, I think at the time I had like 300 people watching me argue with Alia and tell us, and I'm like, Alia, what are you talking about? Like, what could possibly be happening right now? I'm like level 27. And um, <laughs> yeah. I, I found out it was Abacab. On, of course, uh, of course it was Of Abacab. course it was Abacab, right? Is Abacab was in Kano's Hills killing all the shit that low levels were trying to kill because he was trying to spawn Pisgeon. And I'm like, dude, I have no control over that. I'm not anywhere near that. I am like, not Abacab. I'm not going to vouch for Abacab. In fact, I'll kick Abacab before I even start dealing with this issue because it's Abacab. Right, but I, I think like, even hey, then you're like gave him a chance, right, like, to correct his behavior, even though it's Abacab. Yeah, I was, I was like, I was like, I was like, it sounds like it's just, you know what I mean? Like he's trying to do something. It's an open world kind of mob, an overworld mob. These are notoriously shitty camps, and isn't it like the first person to tag it? I don't know. If he's breaking the rules, I think that you should suspend the player who's breaking the rules. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I pushed back with a little bit internally too at the right. time. I'm like, I, hey, I, I shouldn't was, be involved at all. I'm like, there's no, and, and Elliot's like, well, we need to start letting officers take accountability with these people. I'm like. There's no way that these officers could ever tell someone to stop being shitty. If they keep being shitty, you're going to, you know, it's kind of interesting how that kind of evolved too as the server went on. We kept putting more guilds in the Rule 11 channel. Um, we'll get into Rule 11 a little bit later, especially with 
uh, some of the things we did to mitigate player drama. But we did have to make some adjustments. Obviously, actually, as a result of Abacab griefing, that's what started the trend of making things legacy items that shouldn't right. be. Yeah, you, so your solution was to just delete the thing that was causing the problem, which it was a permanent solution to an issue. Like, if even if Abacab got suspended that day by Alia, or if I kicked Abacab first, if I kick him, Abacab is still there doing the same shit, right? Doesn't and there's going to be new Abacabs, too. Right. It doesn't solve the problem that the camp is the issue, not the actual player. The exactly. player behavior be interrupts the gameplay because the gameplay requires you to interrupt everyone else's gameplay. Right. So it's a, it's if a you game were design to, thing, and yeah. you fixed it. Interestingly enough, we didn't see much pushback to that. Someone saw, ah, yeah, that, was a, that makes sense because this is a very hard camp to do. Uh, if you make adjustments to this camp and make it so you can't farm it and stay there 24-7, then slowly people will go out of there as people get their items. Right. And then, then I was like, how many other camps can we, you know, apply this to? Haddon was one. Uh, yep. Fishboneering, we changed to 15-minute respawn time because there was a bunch of people waiting on Haddon. And our CSR team came to me and said, there's someone that said someone got their Haddon kill stole, I believe. And I remember back on T99, this being an issue, it, someone said, oh, I was here first. I was here when the server got up. And then these two people are there when the server got up. We have no way of verifying which one logged in first and was at the camp first. And reasonably, we can assume that we will never know. Right. And it's also kind of like a shitty way to determine the camp when it's a server server coming up and you both log in at the same time. Like just whoever like whoever's internet connection was faster gets the, the camp and it could be like hours and hours and it hours still long. happens with some camps too but not ones that are you know six hour respawn camps right this those hurt if you're sitting there for six hours and then someone decides no i was here first it's like the, the the person going up to the urinal and saying hey what's up uh i want to i, I want to go hang with you in your camp and then the thing spawns the kill steal you you have to go through a lengthy process to get the item reimbursed That's right not fun for anyone now Give people the option and avenue to start sharing it, such as a 15-minute respawn, and the natural thing we'll do is create lists. I didn't even have to – P99 had a list system. I, do you know about that at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. The list system gave me cancer, <laughs> dude. I mean, <laughs> it is so nerve-wracking being like, did I miss my my list check? You know what I mean? Like, oh, no. That, I was, you sit there for like 40 hours, and you're like, oh, God, I hope I don't like get too tired. And like, I'm still – I hope I don't die awake. playing a video game. Right. And at that point, it's not a video game. It's a career. It's a job right. you're doing. Like, dude, I, I don't want to spend three days camping a mana stone where I can't go to sleep. Yeah, and or you have to have someone log on your account, which is a security risk for the account. We mm -hmm. banned account sharing in the simplest ways, which is not actually enforcing it. But if someone does something on your account that's stupid, then everyone that's touched the account gets hit with that. That was controversial early on because a lot of guilds end up, you know, sharing their guild bank or something. An officer might have to log it on or something. And to, to an extent, I think that's we still don't have a solution for that. At least that use case. I think there's ways to make like a, a proper guild bank, even in this old client. We made instances in this old client. We'll yeah. get into that shortly. But um, yeah, I well, think I, that I could tell you. You know, I I know we'll touch on this whole story later. But after like one pretty concerning incident, Faceless had a policy <laughs> of like, yeah, fuck sharing a guild bank. Yeah, because think about it. We have this policy in basically every in industry company I've worked for as well. If a person's sharing their account and someone says a racial slur or something on their account, we have to ban the account no matter who was on it. Like right. that doesn't you, matter. 
action the account, not the human. Now, let's say that the person says, well, I didn't share my account. Someone hacked my account. Then we unban them and, you know, we, we give them their, their account back and we say, please add two-factor if this happens again. We, uh, if it doesn't seem to be because of, you know, a compromise, we will ban your account. Please, your account security is your responsibility. And there's been often times where someone intentionally shares their account. They say that they, their password even in chat to someone else, and then someone logs in their account. Now these two characters are inexplicably intertwined because there's no way to really distinguish besides, you know, connect where they're connecting from as to who was on the account at the time. They're basically the same for they're the same account, the same character, not the same person. Right. We might go through whatever person it was and look through them. And as you said, there's a story in having Faceless that we'll get into soon. Yeah. That one was kind of interesting. Now, you also increased the respawn times. First, it was just for newbie zones, right? Yeah. I, I already saw what happened on green, on P99 green. Right. There was a big congestion issue on launch. People were standing on top of mob spawns, which shouldn't be possible, by the way. TechP actually added a random respawn location system that wasn't enabled even on our server in some zones. Yeah, for that field allows mobs. For field mobs. Because yeah. it on, uh, for example, Quill Main, right? Uh, there are, are supposed to be random spawns on P99 for the longest time, and I think still is the case. Quill Main there's spawns like will spawn. In, there's like three or four spots they can spawn out of, yeah. but they always spawn out of the same spot. Right. That's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to get a random spawn somewhere in the world, and then Quill Main will pop out of that just randomly. Right. There's like 56 different locations, and it picks one at random. Eco Emulator didn't have that for the longest time, and TACP finally does. And I think it's easy and phenomenal how they just set that up. But without that spawn, uh, that, that system, we need to increase the spawn rate of everything. Even with that in place, you're still going to have people kill stealing each other. If yeah. there's, you know, 120 people like there were in Greater Fade Arc early on, there's going to be trauma, there's going to be chaos, there's going to be people fighting over everything. So in the beta process, I actually tested and asked people, does this seem fine? What is the kind of values? And we kind of decided any spawn that was 60 seconds or less would go down to 12. And then we decided any spawn that was about 6 minutes or less would go down to 60 seconds. This means that you would see a Fippy Dork Paw every 60 seconds. You would see a Null Pop every 10 or 12 seconds. Yeah. That helped congestion early on, and people really resonated with that. Eventually, we expanded it to dungeons. After the initial launch, I expected to turn this system off entirely and just, you know, that was it. My hands are clean. Y'all can do whatever you want now. Except that wasn't the case. Instead, <laughs> everyone had, you know... It was unfortunate because uh, there were some cases in like Guck where people are, you know, doing the same thing I anticipated them doing in smaller zones. So I'm like, I'm resistant for the longest time to this. Um, one second, um, I'm resistant to doing this in dungeons because I do not actually want to do that. Like, one second. Uh, I just didn't want any of this to happen. Like right. I, 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 I did, if I enable a respawn time, that's going to be a problem. Just give me one second. Well, one of the things was that it made it a lot when you eventually did it in the dungeons. Um, 
you know, one of the downsides that people see for sure is like the economy is impacted because rare loot becomes a lot more common. But the thing that changes a lot for the player experience is the content becomes a fucking lot harder. I mean, holding down a freedie or frenzy with like three or five minute respawns gets pretty dang spicy. Especially when you're like naked and you have like three defense. Yeah, I I, I think the reason why we kept the 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 defense stuff kind of how it was though is because we want people to actually commit to their characters and um because of that they a lot of people just chose not to effectively yeah. um you, you know they, they would just get to 10 or 11 and they'd stop trying to level the, their defense skill and classic everquest if you power leveled and you were just kind of half afk or just going up to something tagged with a dynamic shield you can get to you know 40 50 really quickly However, your skills are going to suck, your defense skill. I remember um, someone had PM'd me and said, I have fond memories of growing up and having to go to ancient Cyclops camp and then pull a bunch of Sea Furies to the island to the side of it and then just have me be healed the entire time. That's not great. Right, yeah, to get your defense up. I mean, my, but my character that's because defense is like three. Yeah, you had to be power leveled, or if you were power leveled, or you just never spent time in combat, that would happen. Yeah, so for me, like I, I played a necromancer, and I quested the first few levels. I did like the the quint quest, and what that did was to get a defense skill up, a mob has to miss you. Because I was already like well under what my defense should have been by the time I started getting in combat, mobs never missed me, and th by the time I was like level forty. Not only would they not miss me, but they would always max hit me. It was it was crazy. It was like when I'm standing up, I may as well be sitting down for the amount of damage I take. It was, yeah, it was really yeah. a lot harder. But I appreciate that, and I think you know, like it's it's good. It's what EQ is supposed to be. Yeah, um, I would. I, I think the first big thing that happened that caused like uh, comments of of um, favoritism with faceless though. It was either the dungeon change or it was the GM event with Kazakhthul and High Keep. I think it was the Kazakhthul High Keep thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So Arson gets the server first level fifty, and he is um, in Project Faceless. So Alia throws an impromptu GM event in celebration of the server's first fifty, and and Kazakhthul attacks High Keep, and everyone comes out there, and Kazakhthul was like a, it was like. Must have been like Valios Kazakhul, right? Because he had a ton of health. Yeah, and that that whole incident, I was actually in bed when all that happened. Yeah, I was just kind of stressed out over the server launch, and I had, you know, just look at it, and I I saw a, I heard a complaint from someone. I don't think it was you. I think it was someone else that said, <laughs> "This is the funniest thing, right?" It was someone said. Kazakhthul is saying the word fuck in out of character. Sorry, I think that you can censor that in post-production. And no, I... We're good, yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, shit. Alright, what, what is Elia doing? We were trying to keep to the lore for this thing, and uh, yeah, there was... I said to Elia, do a GM event, see if people resonate with that. And Elia's like, okay, so what should be the reward for this thing? And... Yeah, there were there were, the reward for this thing was um AON. AON. Yeah. yeah. For AON. That was no. unfortunate. 
I don't even think that's a problem. Even even now, I don't think it's a problem to give out. It's just an illusion item. It's not super overpowered or anything. I mean, uh, people are like, oh, that's like a clicky buff, instant clicky dispel kind of thing. I guess like it's just really minor. The biggest impact would probably be like the economic impact of being able to sell it. But um, the thing that happened was the criteria for getting the the AON was the person who got the killing blow on Kazakh Thule, which was Kegden and Faceless, um, the person who was the first level 50 triggering the GM event, who was Arson and Faceless. Then we did a random roll. <laughs> which yeah, was which was by, very spammed, by the way. Yeah. yeah, and that was won by someone in Faceless. But of course, because we bat phoned it and we got a whole raid there. We formed a raid. We also got the EXP for all the mobs in the GM event because everyone else was just fucking around. We had like a raid killing them and we got like a level off of that. And uh, so the random roll just went to someone in Faceless. And then we had a GDKP plat bid, which came down to yeah. basically all of Faceless versus Poove, who was a level 49 bard who had been like mass kiting specs and had thousands of platinum. He won and then he joined Faceless. So Faceless walked away with four AONs and oh, people geez. lost their minds. But I mean, like I learned. You learned it. You, you you earned them all legitimately back then i remember too right yeah i mean like and it was like whatever you know what i mean you're also like, the biggest guild on the server statistically you're going to end off with the the most aons out of everyone but the optics were there obviously it doesn't matter yeah. what you do the optics will always you know be shit yeah and, and eq players especially emulated players from like p99 are super they have been trained to like, if I cry, I will get my way. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they and I remember they were like anything enough, they're going to, you know. And that's what kind of turned me on the community there. Um, not just that, but like that that mindset. People were, were like so quick to petition everything, and they were just like very whiny as a player base in the beginning. I don't think they're like that anymore for the most part. Instances have have uh, got them fat and happy. But I was just like, I can't take these people seriously anymore because of like how much QQ is happening here over like like nonsense and nothing so that was the first time that there was an accusation of favoritism then you increase the dungeon respawn or decrease the dungeon respawn timers because people were asking they're like hey upper guck is too busy there's like 200 people in here unrest yeah. has like 200 people in here so you do it for dungeons now what those people didn't realize was like yeah now there's more mobs in upper guck but the only people in the game who were in lower guck and solosec b and kedge were faceless and we could sit at frenzy Ghoul Lord, Arch Magus, all those camps, and get a named mob like every two minutes. It was insane. And after a few days, people realized that and they're like, whoa, 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 more favoritism towards faceless. We're like, come on, man. It's like the same rule that everyone else no has. No matter it's not what our fault. you do there. <laughs> yeah. So I felt bad for you because you were getting crucified by people 24 7 for something like you're just trying to help. Oh, absolutely. The server. And I was like, listen, no matter what Secrets does, it's going to benefit faceless more because. We're the most organized, we're the largest guild right now, and we are the highest levels. We're going to take advantage of any opportunity more f effectively than anyone else is going to do it. And that's not Secret's fault. But they yeah. sure did blame you. They sure did blame me. And honestly, I thought it was a freaking tragedy that they blamed me uh, for all of that. But at the same time, people are going to go with the most popular opinion they have at the time. Uh, just simply because, you know, they see one person say something that's a vocal minority, 
most people who are content with the game they're playing will never say anything. I've seen this in industry. I've seen this even in EverQuest. There's a certain critical mass of uh, users that would actually vocalize something. And as I as time went on, I, w I was realizing I'm talking to a bunch of people in my Discord that just simply do not play the game. They might play the game, but they only appear in Discord during certain hours, which means that they spend a chunk of their life either interacting with the game or vocalizing a complaint for the entire time they're in Discord vocalizing it. Yeah, and, and there's the people, people who are that were trolling you, really. Yeah. If there's people that were actually having a complaint, they would be um, like a valid complaint. They'll say it once, they'll hope we see it, and then they'll never say it again. They might bring up, like, I, I think the most, um, what is the word, um, innocent or wholesome reports are the ones that come in the bug reports channel or the feedback section yeah, where someone says, usually. Well, or they're dumb, but they're never malicious. They're never malicious in the sense that I can click on this, I can see one where someone's literally discussing, should Shield of Immaculate work a certain way? Whereas, if I go into the guilds chat, or if I go into the complaining chat, or if I go to the feedback chat, we got rid of a lot of the the old channels, so I can't really look at the history, but we, right. uh, we would see suggestions that were disguised as veiled threats to do something, not mere suggestions to do something, or feedback that something should be a certain way. Yeah. So, as time went on, I started to actually just kind of ignore the feedback and just go with my gut instinct, unless it was something that I wasn't aware of already. And I'm aware of a lot of things that happen in the game. We do have no analytics systems that would be in the traditional sense, but we do have analytical systems that work in the, uh, what would I say this, the um, overall overarching sense, meaning that because I'm actually participating in a lot of this discussion, I'm also putting myself out there as a target. If I respond to a bug report that is a legitimate bug report, I'm never going to hear it back until that person either is like, oh, wow, I saw that in the patch notes that's fixed. But if it's something that someone's passionate about and they want to see happen, they will be relentless until that thing happens. And when that thing finally happens, they'll be like, oh, I'm so glad you finally listened to my feedback. I will never talk to you again. Even right. though they've spent every day daily talking to me about the same issue repeatedly. And again, as time went on, I just stopped listening to them. There was no point in it. It just got more and more uh, unproductive to listen and it to will drive a vocal you crazy. minority. Yeah. If I talk to someone that's violated the rules in the same way, or if I think someone's violated the, the rules, I like to use people as examples sometimes, but I also don't like to antagonize people. Every time I've ever antagonized someone publicly, even as a server staff, they one, they think, well, you're the server staff. You can't talk to me that way. I can only talk that way to you. And they will pull the double standard card of you're the server admin. You have to fall in line. You have to you know, do as I say because I'm the player and I won't play here. And I'm like, you're like, nah, bitch, it's my dojo. Get out. Yeah, pretty much. I told I started to, you know, be a little bit more aggressive towards people that would, you know, threaten to quit. And I expected to see fall off because people don't like being told that they're wrong and they should go play somewhere else if they don't like the way I'm developing the server. So over time, I started to see a lot of fall off due to that because people just weren't accepting what I did. And I pushed the envelope a little bit and I started to, you know, 
mid-November, I started to get burned out because I'm, t- I'm just going back and forth with people that I just simply disagree with. For the and record, I, I don't think that you got fall off for that. Like, for, first, look for people who are listening to the episode right now. The the server status on EQ Emulator, Project Quorum is the most popular uh, server. Single box, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the most popular server regardless. No server has higher numbers at this at this moment as we record than Project Quorum, and you're like four hundred higher than the next closest, which is P99. And yet, I still complain about about this to myself because I hold myself to a higher standard. Yeah. Even if the players don't hold me to that same standard, I still stick by my guns for a lot of what I do. Just yeah. simply because I want my ideas to work. No, I, I, I wanna I wanna either die on the hill of having something, you know, succeed or fail on its own merit. And if it doesn't work, we identify what doesn't work and we, you know, try and identify fixes for it. For a while yeah. there we were going to do um, a loot revamp system and I'm gonna start going into the kind of the instancing stuff that we were doing. Um we were going to do a, a, a revamp on how loot worked that we never went through with because people were very vocal against it. It would have changed a lot of group loot to loot lockouts. You'd have to wait an hour before looting your next frenzy. So it would require people to hold multiple camps. Obviously, that was not really welcomed. And people started to get concerned that this is, you know, quote unquote, not classic. And understandably, I had only done that in response to people not liking rotations. But it was the first thing that came to my mind, and actually, Alia and one of our CSR members had actually come up with that together. So we were, you know, quite proud of this system. So when we put it publicly, Alia warned me twice, saying, "Secrets, you better not talk about this publicly till it's done. Put it on the players day one, and they'll have to either adjust to it or they will just have to quit." And I said to Alia, "These people are not going to like this. You know that. I need a." I don't even know if I would like this. If I was playing this, I don't know if I would like this. And eventually I just said to Elia, I don't like this. I don't want this system. And I decided to scrap the idea. Partially. And then we started to look at different ways to address the raid rotation issue. We were going to do automated raid rotations, which was going to be everyone gets a chance their mob every so often. They have to be on at certain intervals or they lose their spot. And that just... For a game that has its ideology around not wasting people's time forcing them to log in when they don't want to log in is antithetical to the uh, um, entire uh, creative design of the server right and I, I just decided what fits in this box uh instancing okay what are the downsides of instancing we've made everyone form guilds already so we need to have whatever instancing system we have tied to this concept that a guild would be the only thing raiding. And then we you know, made the, the raid tryout system so people could get on the raid rotation. And I was like, okay, so we already have this tryout system that has a form of pseudo-instancing. What would it take to get this working with an automated raid rotation system? And then I started looking at the problems that we would have with that. If someone doesn't if someone doesn't kill a creature for three days and it holds up the entire rotation, or even 24 hours, as is the case with Nagafin, that's going to cause problems long-term. And then I said, okay, so what's the problem with instancing? The loot is too accessible. This is the number one complaint I got by people. And I started to analyze that. I was like, okay, how do I fix this? Do I change the drop chance? Do I uh, you know, make the lockout timers for these instances more infrequent? What happens if someone gets kicked out of their instance and they can't get back in? Do I keep them in the instance? Do I kick them out of the instance? Do I, are they allowed to sit there and loot their thing? What happens if someone brings into 
uh, ensigns from outside their guild, and none of these solutions really seem to work or resonate with players, and especially with my design. So instead, what I decided to opt to do was this interesting idea of let's add loot lockouts. We were going to do this for our personal loot system and our private loot system. A lot of the items that are in later expansions and you know, late Vilius and Luckland and Planes of Power especially are not tradable. There are a lot of Planes of Power items that simply will not leave characters that are not on present for the kill. You have to be there to loot some of the SSRA items. You have to be there to loot the VT items. So at some point, this issue kind of resolves itself long-term. Yeah. And a lot of players push back saying, well, what about if we get 20 Cloak of Flames? I'm like, that's going to be your alts gear in a couple expansions. No one cares about the Cloak of Flames past, past classic. You might be able to get the Sky Belt once Sky comes out, and now people have Sky Belts, which are better than a Cloak of Flames for haste. And there are also just later expansions that have better haste items. So at a certain point, this just doesn't become an issue, especially once no drop great gear gets start getting dropped. Vex Thou, as you might know, bleeds gear everywhere. Yeah, it's just a pinata so, of gear. It's a pinata if the TXVs or whatever they're called at the end uh, that you can pull to the zone. Yeah, in, yeah. DXXT. Just, yeah. Yeah. They they have a bunch of, you know, haste rings that you could just have your rogues loot and mess. And at that point, why even bother? Like that doesn't make sense to me to keep all these um restrictions in. So what I ended up doing is putting the loot lockout system in. And we were gonna say, Oh, but you have to stay in your own guilds instance. No two guilds can raid together. So we started to try that for a bit just to see how that went because we don't want to you know make reactive feedback to how people are actually participating and uh, a guild alliance pushed back and said well we have three instances do you care that we're exploiting this and then another person piped up and said my guild is dial port we want to actually sell our instance because we are never raiding with a bunch of druids and wizards can we sell this out to someone i said are you doing rmt with it and they said no then I said, well, uh, that puts us in a weird predicament. Because technically, you're supposed to raid with uh, 18 members, 12 guild members, and one officer. And if you do that, if you have people come in outside of your guild and you have people raiding from your guild, there would be no problems. But eventually, I just realized the whole concept of loot denialism, and you'll hear this me, me talk about this word a lot, is just inherently based on the fact that multiple people could not raid the same creature on P99 or back in the day on live. And people expected this only because it was present on P99. Right. They actually would overall benefit from having this restriction removed because the market will adjust. People are like, oh, but the market's going to be flooded with Cloak of Flames. And I'm like, I don't think so. Mischief wasn't flooded. If you look at the Mischief TLP live server, the entire server did not get flooded with Cloak of Flames. It got flooded with a lot of loot. For what it's but. worth, though, Mischief had three months in an expansion, not nine. But I get I get what you're saying, and I think loot denial is like a, a toxic mindset that we have. Yeah. I also think that Mischief ended up being one of the most popular servers for mm -hmm. Dark Ball games. That was best fantastic. Yeah. Best one ever. It had the best numbers. So the concept of loot denialism being correlated to increased popularity or increased enjoyment is just not true. 
No, there's just a very loud subset of the EQ player base that has a hard on for being able to deny other people content. That's all it yeah. is. And those people are always in the top guild, which means you always have the most interaction with them. So it it looks like it's something that people really want. But every time we have seen push come to shove, the more popular server is the server that has more raid accessibility. Every time. Look yeah. at Finny. Finny blew the doors off of every other TLP that ever came out. The only difference was um, Truebox and, and uh, Instances. So we know two things create popularity historically in EQ servers. Lack of boxing and available raid content. Those are the two problems you have to solve. Yeah. So what we ended up doing is realizing after all of this that we were actually on the right track to begin with. My gut instinct was right. So I started to, you know, get kind of empowered by that a little bit. I don't want to say uh, I really hate putting people down that have opinions or ideas. There was a lot of people that wanted, you know, P99 style line racing. And I was, I started to think about it. Does this Terrible, really dumbest, benefit? Dumbest thing ever. I agree. <laughs> but, but hear me out. How would that work in Planes of Power? How would you do a line race in Plane of Time? for example, where you have a set number of players that are allowed to enter or exit. Yeah. No, I mean, like, just think about, I mean, it just, you have to make a rule for every fucking zone with a raid mob, which eventually becomes tons of zones. And, um, you have becomes, to know what those rules are. Right. Yeah. Every race becomes a headache where a GM basically has to go back and retroactively decide the outcome. It, why would you do that to yourself? Right. And I know I can't paint hard against this with you all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the reason why is because I don't know. I think people were so – there's some level of skirt in food to uh, just how people and maybe even a bit of you know Stockholm Central where people fight against their own interests because if they have something that no one else has, the idea of having something that no one else has always outweighs something that, no, that everyone has. But the problem is – EverQuest is actually a challenging game if it works properly. People are always assuming that you know the, qual the, the quality of a server is that of a TLP. People thought, even on this server, that they could just go in there and roll up Nagafin, right? And even then, when y'all did that, you had like 80 to 100 players. If you were trying to do that with 72 players and only the mages you had, I don't know if you would have killed Nagafin that first time. I don't even. I don't remember the exact numbers. I'll go. We're, I'm going to do a part two of this with another yeah. person, um, and I'm going to. I'll probably pull out the real numbers. But yeah, I mean, like, I want to. I want to ask you more questions about that early sure. raid game stuff. But I want to let you continue on it. And I. I agree that the early raid content, when done as envisioned, is not super easy. People will come back with like playing a hate gear and like full buffs and and shit, and they'll be like, "Yeah, Nagavin's easy." I'm like, "Not when you're fucking yeah, yeah, thirty. He's not." Yeah. Also, if you naked. go to, yeah. if you think about, um, uh, what was it? Sky right now. Did you know that even Sky launched about what was it at this point? Twenty days ago. Yeah, around about. There's only been three guilds that have killed the bees at this point. It's not surprising. Out of all, the re out of, all of them, um, which is which three fantastic. guilds are they? Uh, what guilds are they? Um, uh, hold on. Wait, is is it intervention, faceless, and one other guild? I don't think uh, yeah, it, it was. Um, let me look. I think there was a. It's actually. This is going to sound weird. Pals, Tranquility, and Faceless have all killed bees so far. Mayhem and Intervention did not actually get that. Burnouts is pretty close behind them. But I'm surprised actually, Intervention didn't do it. 
Intervention, I, I think, has fallen off a lot. I haven't uh, seen many of them. That sucks. Um, yeah, I think a lot of them went back to P99 after the instancing changes. They want to compete. Intervention was full of a lot of you know P99 style players that liked the competition over there. I yeah. personally didn't. I I hated hated the P99 style of competition, but I will defend people's rights to go back to P99 and do that if they want. Because if that's what they enjoy most, come Lucklin or Planes of Power, there's no way that system would work anyway. Even Your if current they have system a- is, is perfect. You want a system that does not need a constant referee to be present, and that's what your Quakes do right now. Yeah. I um, uh, let, me, let me take a look at this. I was sorry. I was just pulling something up real quick. I think that um, the entire way we handled rating has actually reduced aggression across the board. Mm-hmm. For example, we changed a lot of rules early on, and uh, we were we were um, we were running problems. We were running afoul of the raid rules. People were finding new creative ways to break the rules. We like to enforce the rules as written. If there's a problem with the rules. Alia or I will rewrite the rules, and then we will start enforcing them from that point onward. Right. For and some example, deals were intentionally setting up situations that yeah. would cause rule issues that yeah. would require intervention very suddenly. I'm not going to say no. I'm gonna, not going to say uh, names, but there was a guild that ended up training someone that was trying to attempt uh, fire giants for the first time. Just an officer in their guild, which means that they uh, represented the guild. Yep. And, um, it was in their guild mode to train them. Yeah, it, it was in their guild MOTD, and it said to train them. I'm not going to say who this was because it's a CSR private issue, but um, it was kind of interesting to just talk to someone, and they said, "No, I didn't meant something else by that." And I said, "You meant something else by training the people in this guild." And they said, uh, yeah, "Yeah, I'm sorry." Basically, they did. They gave me a non-answer, and I gave them. I think we gave them a warning at the time, and. It was originally like a two-week uh, raid suspension, and then yeah. it got one week, back and then it got tied back to one, I believe. Yeah, uh, but that that was we started to realize that people can't behave even if you give them the tools to behave. So we're just like, yeah, we got to automate this. We did that. Yeah, and some guilds just sought to antagonize other specific guilds because of bad blood or or whatever. You know what I mean? But your and by, by too long eliminated that. We realized that. A, a group of six people is easier to police in terms of policing the rules. If right. you have six people, there's less chance of someone being an asset and representing 71 other raiders, for example, in a, a full raid. Um, and what I realized is that with quakes and simulated respawns, as they're, as they're known, um, we needed to not ever have natural spawns. A GM cannot be present at every single point of the day. The P99 thing of going back and retroactively, you know, fixing an encounter that happened together, it's just not viable. It's nightmarish for the CSR team. It's nightmarish for the players. Imagine killing a creature that you thought was legit, but then someone gets you on a small nuance and then your loot's revoked. Yep. Yeah, I was ready for that. I thought that that's how I was worried it was going to go that way. You know what I mean? With Petition Quest, especially because there was a lot of guilds that were trying, like early on, trying to compete with us. That's what guilds were sort of resorting to you know what i mean yeah. like we worked really well with tranquility and we worked okay with millers 
even and, though tranquility was an offshoot you guys all oh got... sorry no not tranquility i said i said i said it wrong i we hated we hated tranquility <laughs> yeah. fuck them you, you were talking um, about intervention right? intervention yeah we worked really well with intervention um i, I actually really i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest i really like how tranquility has formed as a guild they their leadership has actually interacted proper ever since we started adding instancing like they're participating in the same discussion where arthas who took over project faceless yeah on our server they have been they've been communicative like they've actually been able to get along with each other i don't think that's due to any other thing due to in except due to instancing well I think there's that there's layers to it in my opinion but yeah. i think that that is necessary i think uh, it's good that like it's good that I get to walk out as the bad guy and with me leaving, the bad blood can go away and Arthas can have a clean slate with these guys. And that's kind of what happened too. Um, it was perfect. And and Fates, you know, the same thing, walked away at the same time. And me and Fates had a, a more cutthroat mindset that just isn't no necessary need to be anymore. Yeah. Right. Uh, we actually got rid of Rule 11. I don't know if you saw that. I, I did see that. I lost my Rule 11. Well, it's because... Uh, I think uh, my theory on this, you can't confirm it, okay, because it, it would be inappropriate for you, but a really annoying person got added to the Rule 11 channel like two days before it got deleted, and I was like, I bet this is just because we don't want to fucking hear from this person any more than we already do. Uh, that person actually was in private messages with me for a while, and we kind of resolved it between me, Ellie, and this person. Uh, we They were actually right. There is no drama between players uh, that needed to be addressed anymore. At this point, remember that thing you said about, I'm the guild leader, I don't want to address individual players? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like... I, I'm used to if like, there's a, a guild leader that's yeah if there's a guild leader that's causing problems or a member in a specific guild that's causing problems you address that member by at directly suspending or muting or whatever you need to right. that specific member like I am a player I am not a member of staff I do not need to know about customer service actions taken against people who associate with me in game which which that is all it is in a guild so right in, in this case the person you. that was added to the rule 11 channel was actually in the right we should have given them a timeout or a warning or something like that to knock it off we shouldn't just put them in rule 11 because if just the guild leader's in trouble just the guild leader should get action if just an officer's in trouble just the officer should get action yeah there should be no rule 11 to hold a whole guild accountable that is a relic from when uber guilds used to run the server for example on contested creatures where when there was only rotations on when everyone seems to get along now one because yeah. the zones are less popular yes like there's less population over law we, we went from you know 2000 online peak to about 1400 peak which is perfectly fine by the way i yes, expect a drop huge. off because of instancing yeah and, no, the, and i mean the quality of the players that will be involved are better and we have a more defined goal for what we're trying to do with the server yeah so all the people that wanted the P99 cutthroat stuff can go back to P99, which they did, by the way. If you look at the population growth, there's a population growth called Unix Geek, which tracks EQ emulator server population. P99 saw a slow and steady growth over the last two months. And the reason for this is because people were just simply either bored of classic. You know what that feels like, doing a TLP server for three months where you're stuck in classic and you can't get any more loot. Yeah, that, no, that drop-off will always happen. 
Oh yeah, no, no, what I, that's do. what I was saying. Your attrition, I think, is just like natural attrition that happens yeah. in classic EQ. So nothing to worry when about. When Junar comes Gunnar... out, people are going to be very excited. I have three right. real life friends that are waiting for. Uh, Kunark to come out before they start playing. They want to play an Ixar. Yeah, so I actually again. took that suggestion uh, from a person on Reddit, actually. I forget who it was. But they said, Secrets, you should release Kunark early just to get everything going. And I was like, no. We're going to stick to the timeline. But I can release just Ixars for just Kunark early. And we're doing that at the eighth month mark of Classic. So one month of Ixars just living it up on Kunark? One to 50, yeah. That's because cool. if you think about it, Lore-wise, XRs didn't just a, baby, a bunch of baby XRs. They didn't just have nine months pass, and then there's a bunch of baby XRs there. So, right. They had eight months, and then they had eight months, and then. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, there was a bunch of established Sublissian Empire had you know had the lore stuff happen there, and then the Keblissian yeah. Empire had had been there when the expansion launches. It's not like this is a recent society, so you're going to be able to play the Cablissian Empire before the other adventurers had found it, which I, I know thought was an interesting... Larry is going to love that, bringing the legacy, legacy of Vic. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I quite literally thought later, I was like, didn't Larry do something like this? Oh, Larry's going to love that. He's going to love it, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, I, I did that because lore-wise, it makes sense. We're going to do this for Beast Lords and Lucklin too, just because that's cool to do. So what did you think of um, the way the server raid scene originally developed? Like, what did you think of those server first kills? Was anything surprising to, to you, or did it pretty much go the way you expected? I was surprising that it took that many players to kill Lord Nagafin. I was expecting people to do it with 40. Mm. I was very surprised that people didn't just straight up level a bunch of mages and then get the max level and then just pet wall it, like, entirely. That By the time you all had killed Lord Nagafin... I was expecting 40 mages to just pet ball this stuff down. That was the strategy on uh, every single TLP or TLE or whatever it's called right. earlier. And I was expecting you to just go with the same strategy. But no, there was actual clerics. There were druids. There were wizards. There were you know melee classes. There were pool. There was a pool team and everything. So I mean, that we, was interesting. We went to me. planning to mage wall them, and we're just like anybody above this level could come. I think we said anyone 30 plus can come. But the problem is the dragons are leashed to their rooms, so there's yeah. no wall to, to to wall them with. You know what I mean? Like the the classic mage wall involves a geometry exploit. You're familiar with it, so yeah, the, I, I remember doing it on Agnar. You and I yeah. played on Agnar together. So some of the some of the listeners might not be familiar with this. You, you put the mage pet. It, NPCs have a larger attack range, which is the fundamental part of this. They have a larger attack range than players, and they can attack without direct line of sight. Like so, if there's a thin wall. Nagafin and Vox and a mage pet, Jababur, will just swing right through that and melee each other, but they do need line of sight for spells. So Nagafin and Vox will stand there on the other side of the wall on a corner, and they'll fight the pets. They'll never use a single AE because they lack line of sight. And the pets will just, they'll never be able to, you know, kill all the pets before you summon new ones and, and you just kill the dragons easy mode. But because of the leashing, they would leash before they hit a wall that you could reliably pet wall with. So... It became a crazy, crazy battle at level 30 doing that shit. And the EXP rate was <laughs> incredibly slow on Quorum. I think a little bit slower than we even expected, which is why... It was why intentional, it, it, actually. You know, I like it. For the record, I like it. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely why... Um, I think we still only had one level 50 when we did Nagafen. And that means on the whole server... No, we had two. We had Poov and we had Arson. There was two level 50s on the server when we killed the dragons. 
Yeah, I I think that was insane to me to just watch that kill. I'll be completely honest. The entire process of organizing that probably didn't take as much as I thought it would. You had the, uh, you know, wrench in the middle of things when you realized Nagafin would leash. I don't think anyone realized that was going to happen. That kind of no. opened the door to future changes for raid content. Because I thought a lot of the early game was just incredibly easy. Yeah. Um, I think we ended up with uh, Kazakh Thul having 64,000 hit points instead mm. of the 32,000 hit points. And the reason for cool. this is because we buffed a lot of the old planner gear and put proper stats on the gear. For example, there was a bard helm with wisdom on it, I believe. The embryed yeah. helm. We corrected that to the proper stat, which would be in. There was, yeah. Then I decided to make a couple different changes. Those wands that are otherwise junk and hate and fear, they now have stats on them. And the re and players initially were, you know, I also like to look at player sentiment just even on a fundamental level. There were a lot of players that just were upset by this change. They thought because I was talk touching uh, Brad McQuaid's child that uh, in this way that the server was ruined and, you know, this is going to open the floodgates to, you know, custom quest or something like that. And I just felt the planes loot sucked. Everyone knows it. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew that the planes loot had itemization issues. I wanted but it's to because fix they it. had like different plans for how certain stats would work that just never got fully realized, right? Yeah, even before they had, I mean, the planes came out later than launch, but they uh, had plans for Kunark to change a lot of the stats, and that that never went to fruition. Yep. Uh, basically, they were in the conceptual stage, and I think at some point maybe they just had designers working on it that just quite literally did not know what the stats did, and they just put them willy nilly on a bunch of gear. So I, I was like, let's fix that. Also, the clickies, I felt like it was a crime that only this Play to Sky items could be recharged. If you have three different planes and you could have these ones that drop, the reason they weren't ever updated is because the planes never came out at the same time. Right. When I see Classic, I think the planes were an extension to Classic. In the same way that I think the hole that contains Master Yale is, again, an extension of Classic. That is something that if they had done this on launch and the zone was ready for release, they would have released the hole. They would have released the planes. Right. But now that we have the ability to stagger this release, we should be able to do that. And I did. So in the future, I might add recharging via mana batteries to those items like the Allure Wand or something like that. We might have to add cast times so they're not instant cast or something like that. But we should be able to, like the Wizard Clarity Wand, that isn't totally game-breaking, especially once we start getting into when C2 is available. It yes. doesn't invalidate enchanters. It doesn't invalidate anything about the game other than you couldn't do this in Classic. It is a right. quality of life tweak that is billed as a quality of life tweak. I think people did not resonate with that as well as they could have because they weren't ready for the game that they knew and loved to have any changes. But in reality... I think if someone were, we talk about Classic Plus with World of Warcraft, right? Like, what would that entail? I think Project Quorum is kind of like an unofficial season of discovery in the same vein that Turtle WoW is in terms of customization. It's the same spirit of Classic, but slightly improved in ways that would otherwise not destroy game balance, at least give players a little less of a headache. Yep, I, I think I think you've done a good job of treading that fine that very fine line. You know, there's things I don't necessarily agree with, but I think nothing has 
hampered the gameplay experience. You know what I mean? I think overall it's the total sum net benefit and it's, it's positive. And I think personally, um, despite what I would consider like a chaotic first few months and definitely some stressful times because of like the rapid rule changes, I think Quorum is the number one place to play EverQuest right now. Yeah, I, I that's a that, that's a hard thing to actually kind of admit to out loud when you think about like um I I have been trying to be more humble over the years and it led me to not brag about things like having Project Board being the best place to play something. Um, I personally wouldn't play on anywhere else other than Project 1999 on any release and Project Warm. Uh, mainly because what, I made it the as the game. 25th anniversary TLP, though. I'm playing that for other reasons. I love the idea of Personas. Oh, Dark yeah, yeah. Ball did an amazing job on that system, and given the team that they have to work with, I think they, they pulled it off. Yeah. I'm more worried about the other issues that might happen on the TLP. Like, is the rule set's going to be something that we like to see is this going to be a rehash of mischief because i'll play a rehash of mischief i'm looking to yeah. play a shadow knight i finally have to show sazabi up at some point you know i gotta i gotta <laughs> you know he's I've on never Quorum, right uh, he is on form right now. yeah he's actually. in faceless big sazabi he he's, he's so impressive he was level 49 and i was like sazabi when are you going to join the guild and he's like i thought i had to be 50 to join i was like not you buddy yeah it's sazabi you get in because you're sazabi at that point, right i know? would tag you at level zero bro come on <laughs> yeah i i um, mean are you going to play a faceless on the TLP? If y'all are playing, I'll, I'll probably, I, I will probably play. The problem is, I have an actual day job. EverQuest is incredibly stressful. Yeah. Also, everyone's going to be running potions on launch. I'm not buying potions on their marketplace. I am not that rich to do that. Yeah. I remember on Agnar, I spent over $200 on launch on just XP potions, on run speed potions, because I was trying to get to a group quickly. I spent uh, something on their gambling crate. I will call them gambling crates, by the way, because that's what they are. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I, I spent a lot of money on them because I actually wanted to you know, support them. They were doing something that I really resonated with, a, a Planes of Power Lock server. It didn't feel like EverQuest in the end, but it was at least unique enough that it had some arcade um you know, style mechanics to it. It could get really expensive now. The meta is getting so stupid that like you don't even run to to other places. You just race change potion to whatever race is closest to your destination and oh, then hit geez. origin to save five minutes. That is insane to me. I'm gonna be honest, that that's kind of terrifying to think about. I yeah. I looked at the cost of World of Warcraft rating on retail right now. People send an absurd amount of money on server transfers and gold just to get a head up in the race on RNG. That's terrifying to me. Yes. And there has spent uh, people have spent like thirty thousand dollars on a expand or sorry on a content drop just to get the world first. And I was like, whoa, I don't think I could spend that kind of money. And the only people that can end up you know pulling that off are these guilds that have actual sponsors behind them that want to clear the content first. And at that point, I just I feel like I'm way behind everyone. I um, have a real problem with that kind of stuff, personally. Like, I do. Um, I do too. Like, when Blade and Soul came out in America for the first time, it's like, oh a no, crew. don't even get me started on that. Did you play I play, that? I played a summoner, yeah, on launch. Okay, baby, there we go. I I was a destroyer, and um, oh no, I was a I was a young single guy at the time, so I had just nothing but money to to blow on. You know, I was in the military. I just lived wherever they told me to live. I had nothing to spend on all my money on i spent five thousand dollars 
and the in-game I spent store. Two thousand dollars on that game, and I, yeah. I regret every single second and every cent I spent on that game. I actually spent so much money on that game that NCSoft banned my account because they thought I was spending too much. Oh my gosh! There you go. Yeah. Yeah, and I had to use industry connections with someone that actually worked there to get the review and get that on, overturned. Um, this is when I was like one year into the games industry at this point. The game had a cheating problem too. It was Unreal Three and. I remember there was a summoner bot problem for a while there where I remember you could seeing kill them. that. Yeah. This was a big problem with all these Eastern games. They were client side in a lot of way. Um, I I basically had to glitch the game into letting me kill this cheater because they couldn't kill me. I could kill I could kill them. So yeah, that was a whole problem. I ended up at like platinum six by the end of it. Do you remember was, did you ever do any of the ratings? Did you ever kill Blackworm? I didn't do any of the rating. I was just a PvP uh, ranked gotcha. uh, crap lord, if you will. Uh, yeah. But that was that was a fun game to me. I enjoyed that game. Uh, I love it. I mean, fighting it was a lot KFMs of was on a class that was incredibly outmatched by them, but just outplaying them felt very great. And of yeah. course, the next season, Summoners fell off, and I just lost interest. So hmm. I yeah, love all those I, grindy Korean MMOs. Um, but oh, I, I, have, I thought that, it was fantastic. That game is where I realized I had a real problem with like with, uh, with spending money. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Like, what are they called? Loot crates. Yeah. I I need to keep myself away from loot crates. When the halfling oh, yeah. mask came out, I think the halfling oh, no. mask was Don't, on that loot remember, crate. Remember, uh, I think it was Sorrows who spent six of those. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. He had a ton of them. Holy shit! I I opened like ninety crates on stream during mischief launch, trying to get the halfling mask, and I didn't get it. And I was like, I need to stop. I'm gonna like destroy my life if I if I don't like get this mask soon. It's crazy because like um you get sunk cost. You're like, okay, well after 50 crates, surely the next crate. I mean, odds have to roll up sometimes. No, they don't. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, I don't want to you know get too much on a tangent there. Can you tell us a little bit about the future of Quorum? What you see going on? Like, is there more custom content or changes you want to see with like Valius, Lucklin, and Pop? And what do you plan to do after Pop? So what I'm planning on actually doing for the future of Quorum, we're going to continue our holiday event cadence. I think that uh, they, they, we use it a five-fingered approach where you have smaller events every other uh, month, and then you have maybe a major event like five times a year. My f five major events are going to be April 1st, Valentine's Day. You're going to have something like 4th of July. You're going to have Halloween, and you're going to have Christmas. Those will be the big major holiday events we run. In between, we might run something like adding uh, Bloody Kithakor as a permanent event. You pick which oh. one you want to side with. Yeah. And then every so often, you'll push back the Tide of Undead. You can actually work together to you know, pick if you want the zone to stay undead or not. You can start killing Kithakor and his followers in the forest. And then you can turn it into General Vigera or someone who wants to actually hit you know, keep control of that forest. So we could have players, you know, not fight each other over that, but do these quests. And at the end of whatever cycle that happens, you can have the forest turned to undead based on the amount of quests complete. That's the idea I had for that. Same with really the, cool. th there's going to be little things like that, that are because of that, it, it, the event Alia ran with the four AONs, GM events are off the table. They do not resonate. They feel like, you feel like you'll have FOMO because you're not online at the time they happened. So, so you're saying GM those. events are off the table because so many people cried about the one GM event that was done, right? That's just, yeah, to, it, just to clarify. Just to, be, just to clarify, that's why. And I yeah. mean, I kind of understand and I kind of have empathy for that. 
if I'm not on because I was, you know, watching a sports ball game that night, I'm going to be understandably pissed. Like, that's that's just how I'm going to be. I'm like, ah, I wish I was on for that. Some people will be more dis- disappointed, but I'm going to be mad at myself for not playing the game 24 second. Right. Which is against the, the ethos of our game design. So um, that's kind of how we did. Uh, in the future... I'd like us to ex- do a uh, demake of the Serpent Spines expansion after Blades of Power. There, if you look at the EverQuest cloth map that was first released, there are a lot of areas that were never touched upon. The Vasty Deep, yep, the Serpent plains. Spine, Loping Plains. Uh, they yeah. were touched on in EQ2, actually. But those areas are ripe for the pickings for you know cool and custom content. I'd like us to get the ability to add new zones and then modify those zones after. Like, we can make new creature types, we can make new zone geometry from scratch that we would, you know, own the rights to. It wouldn't be a replacement for anything in the game client. It would just be something that would enhance and be copyright-free that we could distrib- distribute. Because if we try and distribute, you know, like Gates of Discord or Legacy of Yukesha and then tell people to install it, that's going to be a nightmare for acquisition. People aren't going to want to do that just to go to Legacy of Yukesha zone. So I'm taking the you know custom quest style thing, and we might add small little areas or expansions. I'd love to do a, a Serpent Spine demake because that area is incredible. I love the idea of that area, but we can also redo it in the style of classic EverQuest. We don't have to follow one for one the task system that was made, the zone layout. Uh, we don't have to make Crescent Reach exactly one to one. We can do it in a you know classic EQ style, and I think that would be cool. Because Live has their version of Crescent Reach, which is perfect for the era that it was released in. We need one that would be perfect for the Planes of Power era. And Legacy of Kesha is just when that started to go to, to, to hell and back. I think the idea of demaking in general is is super awesome. I saw like someone demade Bloodborne into like a PS1 Bloodborne yeah. game. Yeah, I, I, that stuff I, is I just resonate so cool. with that stuff. Yeah. So, so that yeah, sounds that's like a, be a really awesome future. Um, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see that yeah. stuff. I hope you get Meldrath's in there. I would love oh, to Meldrath's, see... Oh, uh, Meldrath's Menagerie yeah. or... or not, no, that's Miracles Menagerie. Miracles, yeah, but Meldrath's uh, Fortress and such. Yeah, yeah. That would be cool to get in there. There's so much... Uh, or even the Underfoot area that was off of the hole because there's still yeah. technically the zone line there. That would, that would be, be great cool. too. There's there's so much. Add the add the plane of disease portal in Western Karana and have that like a, a D made POD version with a old school Burtox. That would be really cool. That'd be really cool. Do you remember what we did for the Shard of Decay? That's kind of the thing I was looking towards yeah. doing, but more in depth. There's no cle- there was only a handful of things to do in the Shard of Decay for Halloween. Yeah. I I would love to do like a proper EverQuest expansion in the style of say Kunar Gravelius has new player content, maybe a new uh, race edition, or even just a new entire area with its own lore, its own factions, things to get yeah. attached to, that sort of thing. There's so much you can expand with with factions to make, like, like there should be almost like a ring war possibility with every faction. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why don't, why doesn't Sir Lucan just roll up on Kanos if you do a quest line? And why doesn't like, the, the whole uh, militia? The, the Sabretooth of Black Burrow ever get... You can get faction with them by killing the Shorefall Glade inhabitants or... Right, but you Hollywood can't do anything Stalker. with it. You can't right. do anything with it. It just yeah. stays there. Why can't you ally with the Knolls? You it should always... Off of... Yeah, any any intelligent race, you should be able to have some kind of interaction Even with. orcs. I mean, the Dark Elves made friends with the orcs, right? So there's got to be yep. a clan of intelligent orcs out there, or at least dumb enough orcs that can interact similar to trolls. I mean, technically, yeah. orcs are more intelligent in the game than trolls are. 
Yeah, absolutely. So. All right. I know you don't have too much more time secrets, but I think one thing we have to go through while while I have you here is we got to talk about Fungi Gate and to start from Fungi Gate. Oh no, start from day one and, and go with how. I'm going to try and get through this quick because I haven't got so much time too. Yeah. Okay. Um, so well, you find the guy cheating in Befallen, right? We'll start with that part. Yeah. So we found a player cheating in Befallen. And this person was speed hacking. Yep. We knew they were speed hacking because we wrote code prior to launch that determined whether someone was speed hacking or not. And he was in faceless. He was in faceless. I didn't. This, you didn't know like, about who he was. This you was like just day one. This guy's like level twelve, right? That, that yeah. that's yeah. Uh, and I started noticing repeated triggers of the speed hack code. I'm like, oh, okay. I got to go check this out. I knew this was going to happen eventually, but I had to go check out and see what they were doing. They were teleporting everywhere. Uh, all over the damn place. And they were, you know, they were, I talked to Alien, I said, hey, look at this, I sent you this video, I just banned this, uh, can I ban this person? And Alien said, no, let's let's try and set them up. So we we created a character uh, that it, we're going to say, this is the scenario, the character's camped out and befallen in this one room, we're going to yell train to zone, and we're going to see if this person speed hacks to the entrance, because they've speed hacked across the common lands why wouldn't they just use this to get to safety so they don't lose xp or their position or where they are or something like that so they do uh, as soon as we log in and alia takes this person with you know i think it was valor or whatever the hp buff is to the zone line and yells train this person gets up goes mach 10 to the zone line yep and then i go on the other side i said nope ain't gonna happen i kick the player and they get banned. That's the end of it, you're right. And then I kicked him out of the guild because you told me it was a member yeah, of the I was guild. Like, here's, a, here's a speed hacker. Zayden, nope. you need to take care of this because rule 11, I got to keep an eye on things. Right. So now, I, I had an off, I had two officers in my guild at this time, Notorious and uh, Black, who were both from uh, Without Regret on Yellenak. Yeah. And there was also this person that got banned for speed hacking. Now, we're going to get but into he was not an officer together. yet. No, he's not an officer yet. We're getting that, yeah, too. I, I didn't know that, that these guys were related at all. But There we, was we a second out. account I actually haven't told you about where we saw the same person that we just banned from Faceless on a level 11 mage who was speed hacking. I was like, oh, God, not this again. How prevalent is this stuff? It was the same person. Hmm. And then Elliot's like, okay, we got to scorch earth this person. We did warn people about repeated offenses and related accounts. And so we look at IPs uh, and we ban a third account. And then this person decides maliciously to contact me and say, hey, please, just give me a chance. I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. I said, I don't want to talk to you. They contacted me from a second Discord account. And I, I said, please stop contacting me. And what do they do? They shut up for, I guess, the next week. Yeah, it was like a week before something popped off again. And it popped yeah. off big that time. Yeah, this time there was an officer in a guild, Faceless, that was speed hacking. Alias saw them and caught them. I, th I think, who did we catch first? Was it Notorious? Um, no, I don't think so. I think it, it was Drug. It was Drug, because he was it the was same drug, guy. It was Drug, yeah. yeah. So, so got to go, gotta go narrative with this really quick. After this guy gets banned, I think it's nothing, right? And then a few days later, Notorious and Black, who are currently my officers, introduced me to a friend of theirs who wants to apply, and he's going to level up fresh, but he wants to be the DKP officer. He's willing to do it. He did it for them in the past. I was like, okay, word. No one wants to do DKP, so 
happy to let this guy do DKP. He doesn't need to be like raid level to be able to do DKP. So let's make it happen. And um, while he's leveling up, they're all leveling their alts because they were already high level and they start letting him play their characters while they sleep. So he's playing uh, Suda, Black, Notorious, and Pied's characters for them occasionally while they're taking breaks. Yep. And there is a character, and, and is all, this is an officer that these two people vouched for. Later, there's... Should I mention the screenshot that you yeah, sent me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, you're talking about the notorious screenshot? Yeah, the one with yeah. the pet with MacroQuest in it, because we know that's from MacroQuest because the pet name was under it. Right. So notorious got in an argument with a player or something, and they sent me a tell about it, a player in the guild, and I was like, okay, I, I talked to them, and and I felt like the player in the guild was was in the right, and notorious was a little bit uh, out of hand, out of pocket with how he treated that person. So I was like, hey, notorious, I need you to like make amends with this person, and. Uh, and tell him you're you're sorry you didn't mean it to, you know to be a jerk or whatever. He's like okay, and and he sent me a screenshot showing me the conversation in his text log there, and I'm looking at the screenshot, and there's a bunch of mage pets <laughs> and charm pets, and under the mage pet it says like level 37 warrior, and under the charm pet it says the name of the pet owner. And I was like, dude, what's up with your pet names? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> So yeah, it turns like, out that, request, bro. that Notorious had his client set up by drug his uh, alleged friend that he vouched for. Yeah, yeah. And by the end of this, I'm like, okay, these people are clearly using MacroQuest. I think Elia gets you all on a call and says, hey, look, we got to talk. Y'all are cheating. What happened? I don't know actually the contents of that call. I'm going to save that for, I guess, a second Drama Quest interview, right? No, I mean, I, I, I know roughly, like, basically... Pied was totally innocent. He didn't know these guys before. Pied was like yeah. someone else that we knew who had just was in their static group. So he met them and was leveling yeah. up with them. But the other three guys were all from without regret and they all knew drug. And I think supposedly drugs like one of their nephews. Yeah. They all knew he was using none of this shit was hidden. They all knew about the macro quest. They all knew about all this stuff and they thought that they just wouldn't get caught. Yeah. And then they did. And then they all played dumb Drug got permabanned again, and uh, then Alia was like, "Okay, I will unban your accounts that he because you know because you shared accounts with him, so never share accounts again." And uh, I know that you guys weren't personally cheating, supposedly, so I'll give you your accounts back, but I'm deleting all the gear. Yep, that did and happen. Then, uh, I what what happened there then? Due to some drama over fire giants, Notorious and and Suda began plotting to form a new guild, which became Tranquility. Yeah. And Black went over with them, and they revealed to me a, a few days, a few weeks earlier, that Black was actually becoming a GM on the server, yeah. secretly. Yeah, so because he actually revealed that to you, that's a violation of trust, which we had a unspoken rule that anyone that would violate trust would actually end up as, you know, uh, suspended for like from their GM duties, or they would have to pick being a player. And we said, if any CSR ever gets caught, they get a fungi tunic for whoever reported them. Yeah. And this is not something we've written down in our rules anywhere. It was something that I said in passing, and we showed that we were serious about it. So Zaid got a fungi for ratting his officer that did something shitty 
or rather other people around his officer that did something shitty. I still don't know if Black had done anything out of line besides maybe class clarity on a few groups, but that's very negligent or, 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 or it's negligible at most, not negligent. It's negligible at most compared to the abuses that, you know, drug had done and the other people in your guild. So I mean, well, well, he was, he was giving us inside information on CSR tickets and oh, he, he was, I actually he, didn't know that. Yeah. And I mean, like he was part of that team of people that were cheating, which is, you know, it's whole own box of worms, but I, I reported one, one him. Second, Zayden. One second. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. I'll almost, I'm almost done. Just getting them up here. Come on. Okay. All right. So I, I, I scrolled back up to our chat here to just to check on how this all went down. And basically, I was talking to you about when Notorious got banned and everything and his macro quest screenshot that he sent to us. And I was like, he says that, you know, he didn't, he didn't know how it was working and like someone else set up tac P for him. And I was like, he's literally saying that it was, it was one of your GMs who helped him get set up. And you're like, what GM? And I was like, I was like, I was like black. He's like darkness or shadow is his GM name. And that's how it was. I wasn't like, I was running to you to tattle. Right. Yeah. And I, I was like, Whoa, this is all new information for me. That was, yeah. So this was when I was trying to get notorious unbanned. I'm like, dude, one of your GMs set his shit up. So it's, it's on them. Yeah. 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 But that, yeah, you were like, you can have a funky tunic. I was like, I'm not going to take a fucking funky tunic. That is crazy, dude. People you will lose exactly their shit. You know exactly what the optics are going to be if I give you a funky tunic. Right. And then you come back in a couple, like, I think it was a month later. Yeah, I was like, like, I'll take the funky tunic. And I knew the mo there was an ulterior motive. I just didn't know what it was. And at the time, well, at the time I, I was just guessed. bored. What was that? At the time, I was just I was just like bored. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, I'll level oh. up a melee. And oh, I, you, I was there like, was actually no ulterior motive then. I thought it was because... Um, you know, I, I thought you just wanted to get rid of that whole system because you thought it was dumb at the no, time. No, no. What, well, what, what happened oh was I complained to Alia about it. I was like, dude, I can't believe he's trying to give me a funky tunic. Alia was like, no, that's like a real rule. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that but, was something um, Alia and I had decided on. We considered a CSR leaking any information to be an egregious violation of trust. So for me, I just think... That was that was just like something we should do because we mentioned it in passing, and then of course the optics come out and it's like Zade's got a fungi, and then someone posts on Reddit, oh Zade's got a fungi, oh someone's talking about it on stream, and did you see Zade got a fungi? And I look in the Discord, it's unfair. Why that they're giving fungi out to everyone today? Yeah, it's funny. Like that was um when I was basically like I was kind of bored and like wrapping up my time on the server. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go take this funky tunic. I'm gonna stand in the EC tunnel and wait. I just stood there for a couple hours and watched Discord for the word fungi to appear. And sure enough, the fungi pals, appeared. pals started losing their shit about me having yeah. a fungi tunic on a level 20 rogue. And I just, you know, stood back <laughs> and, and watched the fireworks for a couple days. I mean, admittedly, I should have predicted the optics and just said, no, we're not doing actually doing that. 100%. But, yeah. But at the same time, I was like, this is going to cause some kind of stir. I don't know if if any publicity is great publicity, but I was just like, sure, let's go with it. So eventually, I decided, no, we're revoking the fungi. I think I, I think it was like eleven o'clock at night, and I'm just I hop on a stream. I told my nestmate, hey, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be going on stream. And I got to address some drama. It's very drowsy, yeah. and then <laughs> oh, we addressed the draw, the, the uh all the drama uh we did all that and then we removed your fungi 
Yep. And then we gave you a title, and I said, "What do you want your title?" Because we're and we're going to make going forward, if someone else a CSR, you get a uh, a title, a surname with a title in it. And you said the Nerd Slayer, and I was like, "That's on brand. I'm going for it." I thought I wanted that title because people were so butthurt about having the fun. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, "I'm just like slaying these nerds over here." With you this. are slaying these nerds uh, yeah. verbally with this, and I was like, "Yeah, that fits. Sure, that works." That was the time when people were just like always really salty about about faceless, and there was just like maximum belief that there was like, you know, we were getting unfair treatment or whatever. But um, yeah, which which is kind of funny because if there's anyone that was getting unfair treatment at that point, it was definitely not y'all. We were getting unfair levels of scrutiny. I felt you know what I mean. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Like people were up. Alia and Alia's doing a Alia good was, job. Alia was being yeah. thorough, but Alia was yeah. up my ass every day, dude. I remember that. And I, rightfully so, to be fair, if you know nothing about the people that you're up the ass with, yeah, you need to know everything about these people before you can understand what they're actually doing. And, you know, yeah, there's like a Zade complicit with these officer corps that, you know, had betrayed Zade at this point. Is Pied actually involved? Pied was not involved. Pied was innocent in all this. And I thought Pied is was, like the most innocent person in, in EQ, dude. He's like nothing but he was good really vibes, upset. help people out. Um, and uh, the... the the about the whole band but i was i was also really upset um just because he's just been an early supporter of our server and then he just kind of dropped off because of this whole drama and this kind of thing is why we have the rules right people yeah. really hate when someone actually you know gets on your case about something like this i personally just think that it's it's a tragedy really that um he got caught up in that yeah, it was. But those I, those four I, guys, I liked, them. I, I I liked all the people that were involved in this drama, except until they gave me a reason not to. EverQuest yeah. is run by people that are that are love loving the game. Like these guilds are run by people that are loving the game. And when you see them do something, you're just more disappointed in them, not right. so actually angry. Yeah, disappointed, so, Dad. Uh, so those those four guys who, well, three of them, right? Suda, Notorious, and uh, Black who helped start like a, a little mutiny and went over and, and began forming tranquility. Like two weeks later, they got perma banned because they were yeah. cheating again. They, yeah. Which is kind of peak irony at that point. Right. Like notorious or not notorious, a drug or whatever, you know, I think a mesmerize and then drug and then something else. He came back a third time and of course got caught. Yeah, and I think I've actually banned alts of him a couple other times. I just can't confirm they're him because he changed his IP, I think, since then. Yeah. There was actually someone that got banned for speed hacking when I was streaming the other day, and they started popping up in logs. And that, um, there's actually a clip of that I can show you after the, the That's so podcast. Funny. Yeah. And I just started to realize we actually have some solid detections. The game's finally running itself. My stress levels are high because I'm constantly getting in everyone's way and i just need to you know just stand back and let this thing kind of run itself at this point until there's a major expansion release no nah, yeah the server is in such a great state with the instancing everyone's getting along there's not there's not a lot of bad blood everyone i talk to about quorum is just happy and loves it the pace is great the content is great your changes are all great i i couldn't say enough about how good the server is and i i recommend it to anyone who wants to play old school eq it is the best way to play everquest right now I'm hoping the 25th TLP actually learns from this because I no I don't I don't I don't hate other ways to play the game. 
I just made the game that I wanted to make the most. I, if I saw something that I wanted in EverQuest, I now have this medium in which to do it without having to argue with any developer, with any designer, with any uh, you know person who runs their own server. I can just do it. And yeah. generally, I don't think I'm like the best designer out there. I just think that I played this game long enough to pick out things that I didn't like about the game and then just fix them. Yeah. And I'm I'm hoping P99 learns from our legacy item system. That would work there, by the way. I, I hope they replace the list system with this for Green 2.0 if they ever do one. And I hope that um, Live ends up learning from some of the other loot lockout systems or even just certain nuances that make EverQuest EverQuest. There's a lot of, you know changes to live that they haven't undone and have replaced with mitigation of the mighty a lot of everquest's early challenge is just due to the combat mechanics and tlp has always used the live version of the game with balance changes to mimic what classic was like but it's not they've used like the aas that give you passive bonuses at certain level milestones i think that's actually something that could work really well they just need to go in all of that and start doing classic plus they need to not just be restricted by how something was but how something should be and that's kind of what i did with quorum so if they do that they'll do great now do they are going to get the, that time allocation dark is a company they are there to make money right you won't ever see a one box true one box server you'll see a true box server but you won't actually see a one box server from them because the time required to actually do that at a triple a company or even you know like a double a or a, an indie at this point dark paul is an indie studio they have about what 40 people or less working for their company on everquest yeah. probably less than 20 actually allocated to everquest one specifically yeah they aren't a powerhouse of a studio that they used to be they but they are still doing the best with what they have and as someone who is working in a team that is extremely small and even smaller than what's working on EQ Live, I feel for the pain of doing that while also having to meet your yearly goals. There's a lot of things, even at my day job, where I'm like, I wish I could change this, but I don't have the time for it because this other task takes greater priority. Even though I know this other task will be better for the product in general, I still have to do that other task before I can get to the fun tasks and then you're always in this vicious cycle of doing the fun tasks after and you only get so many of them per year yeah i think personas was like kind of one of their fun tasks from what it sounded like the fact that it went into a major box expansion release was just icing on the cake i hope they do more of things like that on the event calendar i, I read think that i don't know this but i think persona might have been koala's idea before she uh, got hired by another company. And that's why they weren't even sure if they could do it. When they first announced it, they were uh -huh. like, yeah, we don't even know if we'll be able to do this. And they managed Walla to get it done. It just seemed like she knew exactly what she wanted to do. And then she had the engineering talent behind her to do it. She was the best. Yeah, she was I, great. I listened to your interview with her and it, I could just see that she exuded passion for design. She just kind of felt limited in a lot of ways. And she wasn't saying it out loud because she's legally probably not obligated to talk crap about her employer. No one is. <laughs> but I would also say that maybe uh, if they had a few extra resources, which they can't do right now, 
the only reason Project Warm is able to run on what it's able to do is because we all work for free. If yeah. we had to start paying everyone and charging a $15 a month sub, we couldn't pay even but one person. Right. And that's the difference between running Darkfall, which needs Chrono by necessity of actually surviving as a company because they put all their eggs into Chrono years ago, and that's an irrevocable decision. Let's say their investors at EG7 say, you don't have Chrono anymore. Why are you doing this? They're going to push back and say, you need to put that back in. That was making us all of our money. Even if the players don't want it, they still need to do it because it's a catch-22 there. If you remove it, the game would be better, but would you still make as much money? No, you definitely would not. They're inexplicably twined to the concept of Chrono, which is bad for the players, but also great for the game's long-term health. And I do not ever blame them for doing that either. I know right. how that feels. I would rather he eat a meal go when I go home from work each day than have to deal with having to feel the pain of losing my job because I had put something of the interest of the players above my own well-being and safety. Because realistically, this is a job for the people that work at Daybreak, right? So they're not going to be able to do certain things because it's intertwined with their ability to continue to be paid. And that sucks in industry, and that's also kind of why I have Project Warm. Even when everything looks terrible in industry, I can at least, at the end of the day, go work on Project Warm, have complete freedom, not have to pay a single dime except for the server hosting cost, which is extremely cheap, which is $200. I have a team of people that align with my vision, and I can also just kind of enjoy the fact that I have something that I can consider partially my own, but the best version of something I grew up with, which is way more important to me as a as a human being to have that level of goal satisfaction that doing a job doesn't always give you. And I think that's important. And I, 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 if I was working on EverQuest at Darkball, people were always like, Secrets, why don't you just go work for Darkball? You could change things around there. And I was like, no, I couldn't. If I worked there, I would be miserable. The moment I'd have to do something that wouldn't align with their core business values, I would I would be fired because I wouldn't do my job. And I know a lot of the things I want to do would not align with their core business philosophy. I mean, and that's 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 the necessity of doing the job, right? So I, I that's why I don't do it. I don't think Dark, I would be able to do my stuff. Darkpod devs do some shady stuff too that that you would think would jeopardize their jobs at times, like. The newest raid content release for live came out, right? And it had two events. Normally there's three, but this time there was only two events. Okay. So um, all the guilds, th these don't require like qualifying or flagging or anything, right? So as soon as it comes out, every guild just picks an event and you do the event or you do the other event, right? Now, uh, one of the events was bugged and every guild that went to that event first pretty much got fucked. It, it wouldn't spawn. Yeah. The guild that went to the correct event first, and then as soon as the next event was fixed, before anyone else knew it was fixed, they went and did that event. So had they could first it? Yeah, so they could so they could get it first, had two devs in it. Uh, you know what I'm thinking it about? Seems it, 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 it seems suspicious to me. It seems suspicious, but at the end of the day, games like EverQuest, where you're working underpaid, the entire industry is underpaid, just to be very clear. You might be able to make decent money working in the games industry if you're like a lead and you'd make less than you would as a, a mid-tier engineer like right now i'm underpaid for my position right because you're, you're like getting my... abuse for your passion and stuff right 
Yeah. So I, what I would say is I'm underpaid, but I don't consider that abuse for one distinct difference. I have a CEO that cares about me, a player base that's depending on me to do the job. And then three, I have some level of altruism that gets fulfilled when I do my day job. I am servicing a game that I grew up with. Again, this is like a game from 2010. So I, 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 I was once a player in this game. I know the, what the, game, the players in this game actually feel. I, I feel their pain when I read their posts. And I'm working with a company that actually aligns with my vision for fixing this. That's like the, the ultimate storm. And if you're, uh, it, there are a lot of times where I've done something that the players would consider, that, like not even just in this company, but in the industry in general, I've seen it. Someone makes a massive freaking mistake that would have compromised the brand in some way if they didn't play damage control, right? You've seen right. this a lot. Um, you know, developers in EverQuest would, you know, leak strats to each other in EverQuest 2 and World of Warcraft. This is not just an, a daybreak or darkfall issue. It's more of a, it's very easy to screw up with the knowledge you have and make an area, if you don't know everything in the game and you announce something that's not supposed to happen, and then you, every other person on your team suffers, for one, when you do that. But you might not even know that you're causing them to suffer. You might not even know this is a problem. A new community manager can go into a game that they barely even know, but they were hired due to their experience, and absolutely screw up everything. And it could be that, yes, this is fixed, and the developer in their guild is saying, we should go do this now that it's fixed. I hope everyone was paying attention. We just posted this in the patch notes today. Uh, or they didn't even remember to post that in the patch notes, they just did it. And that's going to look bad on them, but I think it's worse when you don't actually... Uh, like, things are going to happen like that. Companies are going to want to sweep them under the rug, but they do happen accidentally too. This could right. have been a complete innocent accident. Like The developers don't have access to post on the forums in that one update section. That might just be someone that has a shared community account. And it sounds very stupid at its core, like someone at a company not having access to post the forums, but I don't have access to post on my forums. I have no reason to. We have a community right. manager for that. We have I mean, that there's always like the chance that things could just have worked out that way, right? And there was no, there is nothing incorrect happening. I also think that there's cases where it doesn't, and there is a malicious intent, and then it looks bad on everyone. I think that when you're working a day job, you aren't paid to care enough whether you cause that problem or not. I mean, as you know how you make sure that same. you never cause the problem? You don't have your devs be in competitive guilds. Yep, you could you could tell your devs if you want to play. If your identity is discovered, you have to delete your characters, or just on, be in a casual guild. Or being be in a guild that is not uh, top 10. I had my player character at work actually discovered, and I deleted my character, and then I copied the character, I renamed the character, moved it to a different account, changed all the stats and all the cosmetic appearance stuff I had on it, and then I kept playing. You know why? Right. Because that that would make sense. Because And then I made sure that I never spoke a word in the game again. That's how you fix that problem. Right. You can band-aid I mean, it by making sure that you just sweep it under the rug, but there's different ways that different companies handle this, these things. When and you look at I, live I EQ, when you look at live EQ, there's 36 rating guilds, right? Like current content cutting edge rating guilds. Why are two devs in the number one out of 36? They probably joined because the other one was already playing there, if I'm going to be yeah, honest. The guild wasn't number one when they joined. It is now because they have the two devs in there. The players uh, in that's there what probably I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like that guild has to always, it will always be like, oh yeah, it's because they have the two devs, right? Yeah, even so if you the just devs dismiss them anything. from any sort of... If I was the players, 
that were worried about the competitive rankings and these new expansions, I would automatically disqualify that guild on a community level. You might win first, but you will always be downplayed in the, the court of public opinion. Yes, the company will have a reason to protect itself. But I personally, as a developer, would just keep I, I, I would just keep doing dev work. You can't let something like that just eat at you. You kind of fix it, and then you move on from it. Right. And it, it doesn't sound like maybe they didn't fix it. Maybe they did. Maybe they just say, I don't, we, we've dropped the person that outed these people from the guild, and we've, uh, we've continued on. Like, this person shouldn't be harassing our staff and their actual identity or something like that. And they, there's different ways to handle that. And sometimes yeah. they're tone deaf. And I think yeah. a lot of developers aren't able to separate the two. But I also don't kind of blame them for this, even though if they are at blame, then shame on you. You shouldn't be doing that. But if they right. aren't at blame, then – and it's an honest mistake. And in, honestly, a lot of the times in industry, this is an honest mistake. I will I will just say that they they might have fucked up, and that's fine. I, I just get I get frustrated because I know exactly how it feels to be in that position. And when you say people are like, oh, the devs are in this, this, and this guild, and something happens, I get frustrated because I know exactly what that feeling feels like to be called out like that, even if you did nothing wrong. For In my case, a, de a person in the game had basically said, you're, you're a freaking developer. I already know that. Fuck off. And I, I said, uh, I immediately closed the game after that. I was kind of shaken up that they would spend the time to figure out what my character was, because it was the same character I used as a player. And mm -hmm. in, that, in that sense, maybe I was stupid, because I had posted on my social media accounts a picture of the video on my YouTube channel that also contained that player character. So I was like, oh, I probably did this to myself, or I might have talked about it on Facebook or Twitter or something like that. And then, oh, no wonder they put two and two together. I'm an idiot. <laughs> so uh, it could be something as innocent as that, or it could be something more sinister. Either I mean, you way, deal with the same thing with Quorum, with people being like, "Oh, secrets is in the faceless Discord." Of course, they got the first Nagafin, right? That kind of stuff okay. came up a lot, and and you're like, "Hey, I yeah. tried to join like every big guild Discord." I, I did, and uh, Mayhem didn't want me in there because their members would be hostile towards me. <laughs> <laughs> like it, they straight up said, "That's the reason we don't want you in there because we're going to talk shit about you, and we yeah, don't I mean, want well, you in there." You know, when your guild leader's in the red, the red grocer Discord, it's a different environment, I guess, that you you foster, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I was in that Discord for a while, and I even participated in the discussion, and it was just there's different. Uh, here's the thing about those kind of channels: they're welcome to do rule violations outside of my Discord, outside of my stream, and outside of the game. I don't care what they do outside of the platform. No developer should, unless right. they're actively, you know violating the rules in our platform and discussing rule violations, doing rule violations on our platform, on an external platform, there's no reason why I should even care. People do what they do in their spare time. I just avoid them. And I did try and join all the other guild discords on the launch. Intervention didn't care. I think Intervention's formed after. I didn't even think I got the chance to yeah. ask anyone but the Cabbage Patch, um, Project uh, Faceless and Intervention when they formed, I think, and Mayhem. I mean, Mayhem and Project Faceless were the two I was interested in. Eventually, we just made a guild channel anyway, and that didn't really need it to be a thing anyway. Yeah, that so, was super. Uh, the guild channel was great. It's It's been very impactful. It's like the which... P99 um, UN thing, but not for anything but guild leaders to talk to each other. Not just right, random so people. Right, so people don't need to like project and shit. Stuff. Yeah. 
that's all the UN became on P99 was just a bunch of people from the forums. If you look at the P90 forums, they've cleaned it up a lot. They went to uh, they went to this Discord because they thought it was funny because EverQuest players are e easily uh, offended by any sort of content, so they would just yeah. go there to offend them and make fun of them for still you know completing in the line races and discussing this petition quest like it was uh, something that they thought shouldn't be you know it, it was a whole mess. That's what I'm getting at. Anyway, I think we yeah. should we're we're kind of running out of time here. Yes, yeah, we'll wrap up here. I just want to say really quick. I, I dogged on Mayhem a little bit. I actually like Mayhem, and I think Glitter, the guild leader that took over a couple months ago, has been doing a great job with it. So if I you're listening to this, I, I Glitter... I respect people that run guilds like that. Yeah. Because it takes a lot to actually put a, a community of people together. Yeah, I definitely. Wish they, I wish they didn't have pushed the uh, Rivervale Fudge Factory name at the start. That was... Uh, <laughs> um, I, I get the whole alliteration, but then you have guilds like Dark Men of Otis and all these other uh, alliterations to either homophobia or racism. And yeah, it's it, gets, just like, it can get you crazy. Can, you can get very crazy very quick. We stop that out very quickly just for that reason. Yeah. Uh, I would I would say that Mayhem is just one of those uh, guilds where I'm glad they do it in their own Discord because I actually really appreciate the players when they're actually playing EverQuest. They're some of the most tame and appreciative players that I've ever seen in the game, so... Yeah, they're good people now. All right, Secrets, it's been wonderful having you on here. Thank you so much for carving out the time. I always love playing EverQuest with you, and I enjoy playing on your server. So oh, you. uh, it means a lot to have you on here. And I know we planned to do this like five months ago. Sorry it took so long for me to get around to it. And, you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. You just got to take care of yourself. Please do yeah. that. Like in the future, if you, reach, if you need to take a break and you don't want to do these immediately, perfectly okay. You call me when you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thank you, man. Appreciate that. All right, folks, that is Drama Quest. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you in uh, maybe a little bit less than a week. And if you want content early or bonus content, hit up that Patreon. Please support us.